Hey, everybody. Thought I'd have a big Tony Ford going as we start. What's up? Welcome to Wednesday night. It is another excellent, vibrant. So excited to be joined by great friends this evening. And it happens to be my 34th birthday. Kind of a cool one. It's like a palindrome birthday. 322. 2023. I'm 34, which is kind of like 322 if you add the twos together. Pretty exciting. And, uh, you know, since I had this big fork out, thanks to all the people in the community that one year ago banded together and donated a really nice amount to help me acquire this cool thing. It's uh, it's seen a lot of uh, sessions with people and it's been a really excellent tool. So thank you. Tonight, though, we've been looking forward to this podcast for Many weeks. We are joined by my good friend Eileen Day McCusick, the author of Tuning the Human Biofield, Electric Body, Electric Health. Also runs the Biofield Tuning Store online where you can get a sonic slider, one of these. I highly, highly recommend you have one of these in your toolkit, maybe even two. <laughs> and I could actually give a lot more to Eileen's credentials, but you all know her, you all love her. We're also joined by returning guest Austin Walters the biomagnetism guy. <laughs> and Eileen and Austin haven't had a chance to talk yet, but I just get so much out of both of your perspectives and I see a really cool overlap there. And tonight I'm just hoping to see what kind of sparks fly as we talk about the electrome, our electricity, our electric health and our magnetic health, how they're the same or how they're different or how they tie in together. We'll see. <laughs> and of course, I got my main man, Gabriel, here with me. That's a cool shirt you got, bro. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Welcome, Eileen. How are you doing? Hey, Chance. I'm, I'm good. I'm glad to be here with you guys talking about cool things. Yes. We're going to have such a good time. Austin, bro, how have you been? I've been doing well. Actually, this week we are currently in a biomagnetism training. So I'm here in Jersey in this hotel room. And uh, yeah, long days training, you know, all kinds of people teaching about our therapy. Uh, so I'm, I'm primed and ready to ready to rock. <laughs> I've, I've been talking magnets all day. So uh, yeah, be here until Saturday and then fly back home. Very cool, man. You know, that sounds good. Why don't we talk about what the training you're doing. I know Ishan in the chat here, he's yeah. been uh, apparently catching a ride to Panera with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That has been the said. case. Well. I've been, yeah. I've been pulling double duty of uh, teaching and also shuttle duty. Um, well, so I know so. the audience probably has a pretty good uh, grasp on biofield anatomy, biofield tuning, as well as someone might who hasn't gone through the process of doing a little bit of extra personal study. And so I would like to maybe open with talking about biomagnetism and invite Eileen to jump in, ask questions, comment. I'd like to see where the overlap between these modalities lies. But first, we might want to introduce biomagnetism again. It's something we've only talked about really thoroughly once on the podcast before. And enlighten us, bro. <laughs> it's a deep dive. Um, so the the shortened uh, version of this is going to be that um, in uh, around 1988, um, a Mexican physician by the name of Dr. Isaac Goyes Duran was attending an energy medicine conference. Uh, the head physician at NASA, his name is Dr. Richard Broringermeyer, uh, was giving a talk 
on the effects uh, magnetic fields were having on the supposed astronauts when they would go to the space station and the prolonged physiological effects that would occur when they I were. I like how you threw in supposed. I'm with you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, yeah, you know, I'm still up in the air on that. We'll see. Um, but what they were noticing is that these high altitude experiments or prolonged uh periods of time when they were outside of the Earth's concentrated subtle magnetic field is that a physiological effect would start to occur. Um, Dr. Beringermeyer wasn't exactly sure of what was causing this effect. So later on, they were starting to theorize that um, what they were seeing was that after the, the astronauts, you know, of course, would have these physicals done prior to to shuttle launch and all these experiments. And these are very rigorous tests and NASA spends uh, exorbitant amounts of money in order to make sure that all their T's are crossed and so forth. Um, What they were seeing when they would come back though, is that one leg would be shorter than the other. And they weren't entirely sure what was causing that. So this head physician at NASA's uh, theory was that essentially it was a physiological stress that was occurred uh, that was happening to these astronauts. So they started playing around with introducing concentrated magnetic fields into the shoes um, to see if that would have an effect on this you know, quarter inch difference of leg length. What they noticed after about six weeks of wearing uh, either north or south, they were just using one pole in both shoes, um, is that the legs would recorrect after about six weeks. So Dr. Burr-Ingermeyer says, aha, I, th- I think that I'm onto something. Well, we fast forward to this, uh, you know, some, uh, conference that he's teaching at and Dr. Goyce is sitting there listening to this and he's trying to put two and two together. He's very fascinated by this, but, in, um, Spanish and Mexican culture, duality is heavily a part of the culture. So he's listening to this physician give the talk and he goes, well, I wonder why he's only using one pole. You know, shouldn't he be incorporating north and south together in some way in order to get an optimal effect? So after this talk, he goes back to Mexico and he says, I'm going to mess with the, you know, the first patient that I see come Monday morning is going to get, going to get this, uh, you know, the guinea pig experience. And so he, the first patient that he sees is actually an HIV patient. He explains to the guy, Hey, I went to this conference. I don't actually, there's nothing, you know, that I really know what I'm doing, but I, if you, if you don't mind, I would like to mess with this magnet. I have a theory. Um, and so this is the beginnings of biomagnetism. Um, of course, we could trace the roots of using magnets all the way back to, you know, Chinese medicine, uh, Hippocrates, the Egyptians, they, everybody has been trying to use lodestones, magnets, what have you for, since we, you know, have recorded history. Um, and so Dr. Goys basically had an assistant take a magnet. And at this point in time, it was an old speaker magnet and he had the, uh, did you lose me? Oh, uh, you got a little wobbly, okay. but you're back. Um, Hotel internet, I got it. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's part of it. Um, but he would have the assistant drag the magnet starting at the top of the head. And what he was trying to prove out is that if indeed there is a physiological imbalance in the tissue or the pH, that he should be able to observe this same leg length discrepancy happen when you introduce a magnetic field to an area of disease. So 
long story short here is that they found the first point. So let's say that, for instance, and of course, I just happen to have a magnet here with me. So these would be the magnets that we use today. But let's say that the black magnet was over an area of imbalance. We could say maybe the thyroid. The theory behind this is that if there is imbalance occurring in that gland and there's a pH shift, then you can actually observe in the legs about a quarter inch of a leg length discrepancy differential. And what this tells us is that the body is actually crying out for help in a very subtle way. And if you're paying attention to what the body's um, trying to tell you, then you can find the corresponding opposite uh, pair. And for people who are trying to wrap their head around this, you can kind of think of it like acupuncture where we would have maybe a point A and a point B, um, except that biomagnetism has nothing to do with uh, the acupuncture system per se. Um, so what we're really paying attention to is that let's say that strep throat is causing an imbalance, uh, you know, wherever it's hiding in the body and there are a few places that it can hide. The manifestation may occur in the throat, but the actual bacteria could be hiding out somewhere in the body. What we're trying to do is take North Pole and South Pole, and we're finding that spot, that connection, and we're allowing the body to restabilize the pH so that that pathogen can no longer proliferate or exist. And then the immune system kicks in, comes into play, gets rid of the pathogen, and then you experience homeostasis. Um, that's kind of a long way around our therapy. So um, really at, at the, the base of our therapy is the idea that the body already knows how to heal itself and that the reason the magnetic fields even work in the first place is because we are about 10% uh, hydrogen in the body and the magnetic field actually has a, an effect on the hydrogen itself. So I think we might need more hydrogen than that even. You're right. I mean, that's that's an estimate. I just you know? talked to George Wiseman yesterday is why. OK, <laughs> <laughs> you know, a lot of times when we have physicians that attend the conferences, I have to kind of, you know, balance and juggle what, you know, the mainstream, the Wikipedia or Google models showing in or whatever. We're, we're in the back black belt class. Right. Yeah. yeah. They, <laughs> hold back. So really, the aim of the therapy is to help your body heal itself. And it already knows how to do that. We just need to introduce the correct environment in order for it to do so. and then it will try to return to homeostasis. Now, of course, there are a lot of other factors involved when we talk about complex disease processes. But, you know, if you have a UTI or strep throat or pink eye or, you know, whatever, um, you're looking at, depending on where you are in the U.S., um, somewhere around a 15 to 20 minute uh, placement time. And it could be multiple pairs that you're, you know, having placed on you. And then, because it takes that amount of time, we can observe this through the, the leg length discrepancy change, right? So I can place a black magnet on an area of imbalance and I can observe the leg will actually, and this is terrible because I'm on, you know, the camera and this is really, you know, a hands-on, you need to see it in person. But let's say that the leg shifts because of that imbalance. It's a, it's a contractual response by the muscle um, due to that hydrogen moving around in the body. If we place that second magnet and the leg evens out, it's a relaxation. Um, if we wait, say, 10 minutes and we remove one of those magnets, you'll see that that discrepancy is a little bit less than it was. So it tells you that the body is balancing itself out. So we essentially wait that 15-minute time frame seems to be right where the legs will remain even when you remove one magnet. And that's the signal that 
pH of that area has been restored. And again, we have pH uh, levels are different in different areas of the body. So we're not, we're not uh, trying to suppose that that area is supposed to be, uh, you know, there are a lot of alternative wellness claims that that area needs to always be in a pH balance. Well, that's really a misnomer because the stomach is very acidic, you know? So um, the, all we're worried about is that the body knows how to heal itself and we just need to introduce a, a tool or an environment just like you would throw chlorine into a pool so that the body can go do its job. And that was kind of a, a really long. No, it's really cool, man. It sounds like you're helping the body signal it, you know, using this sort of detection method of the magnets in a way, showing right. the body the cue to where it needs attention. <laughs> Lately, I've been likening the tuning process to like people not realizing they're wearing a kick me sign on their back. <laughs> and that kick me sign is like their expectations about life or something about themselves. They believe that came from a long time ago, potentially that they no longer realize is there. And the forks are helping us find where that posted note is and then mm -hmm. giving them the option to take it off. Right. But, uh, Eileen, <laughs> when it comes to the magnetism of our body and our aura, our energy field, uh, what type of ways has that idea of magnetism played into your thinking as, you know, a citizen scientist when it comes to understanding human energy, subtle energy? The leg length thing is particularly interesting because I have had experiences with leg length discrepancy uh, getting rectified by the tuning process. So to me, that makes like a really great diagnostic metric. Probably a lot of people don't even realize if theirs is off, but yeah, we threw a lot out there. <laughs> Eileen, you want to well, jump I know in on it? There's so many things that I could say right now. <laughs> Get in there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, come on. <laughs> All right. Well, well, first, Chance, before I get to your question, I just want to speak to a few things um, that you said. Have you, are you familiar with the work of Jerry Tennant and his book, Healing is Voltage, right? So Extremely, yeah. Okay, so he talks about pH as voltage. So right. here you are speaking in the magnetic model on one hand regarding magnets, but speaking in the chemical model in the other regarding pH, right? So, so just from an electric perspective, like you're, you're shifting the voltage mm -hmm. in that area, and the flow of voltage, you know, especially in relationship to those two parts, right? So. Absolutely. Yeah, so I just had every time you said pH, I had to mentally translate it to voltage <laughs> because I really want to encourage people to think electrically and and kind of get out of this this chemical model where people are talking about their hormones and their serotonin and their dopamine and you know I just don't think it's useful language um, really because everything is vibes. Everything is like how you feel, man. You know, it's like, are you happy? You have happy vibes. It doesn't matter if it's serotonin or dopamine or whatever. And so much of what they tell us about chemistry um, and these things, like, is it really true? You know what I mean? Like, how can we really know? But we we know what it's like, right? If we're if our energy is low, if our voltage is low, if our, um, you know, if we just. I just think we need to simplify it and keep it electrical, right? So that, so that was, that was just one thought that I had. Um, another thought was that um, it's so, so much the same as, as biofield tuning, right? It's really the same idea 
uh, that the body has an electrical system. You know, the Chinese have been right all along with acupuncture. And I, I've been reading this book. And uh, and so far, um, have you guys seen this book? Do you know about it? I, I have. I have I've seen not, I it read on it. the Amazon recommendations, yeah, yeah. but I haven't checked it out yet. Well, you know, she's the one that's coined sort of the idea of the electrome. The electrome, yeah. Love um, it. My friend Shamni Jan looked at this, and she's like, "It's just a setup for like big, big corporations to create electric medical devices." And of course. And, uh, so, you know, where, so I think that there's like, you know, there is, they're recognizing electricity in the body, but they don't talk about magnetic fields, right? Magnetic fields, right? So you're working with the flow of current in the body. But what I discovered is that, or, and what I discovered, it'd be cool to do it together, actually, to combine the two, right? Yeah. But the leg length thing, I notice a lot because I come from a massage background. And so now people on a treatment table, you know, I will always kind of assess, are, are they, do they have a twist? Do they have a shorten? And a lot of people have one leg shorter than the other. I'm curious, do you, like, would you say you see more shorter left legs or right legs? That's a really good question, Eileen. And um, I would say that, I don't know, uh, probably 95% of the time, it's typically the right leg that seems to be shorter, but I have had clients where it, it is the left leg. Um, it's right. it's it's much more rare. Um, but yeah, I would say it's definitely more the right than the left. And so Dr. Goys had theorized that that was due to the fact that the heart was, you know, offset a little bit and that every time it, it pumps that it depolarizes the left leg. So it's more common to see that physiological stress in the right. I mean, he, that was just a theory, you know, you know what my theory is it's from driving. That wouldn't surprise me either. <laughs> Although, Although I will say working with children, um, you know, like my three-year-old, right. My three-year-old nephew had it. So Dr. Boyce felt that it might've been due to maybe the birth trauma or, you know, some other unforeseen thing that, you know, all we were worried about is like, well, we observe it. And, you know, for us, um, before we start the therapy, we need to have a flat baseline. So we actually have to correct that leg length before we really dive into the therapy. Um, so yeah, you know, fix that imbalance, allow the body to, to reach a calming effect, if you will, Um, which we we can actually root chakra is that the most common flavor of stuck energy for people's root chakra is what I call the torturous to-do list. (laughs) Exactly. <laughs> like the the stuck mental energy of spinning in your mind through all the tasks you think you need to do or you suck if you don't get it done. And that's <laughs> like the back right of the of the right hip, you know, like right glute. So if there's a, a lot of stuck energy there, it makes sense that it would pull the right hip out of alignment towards that stuck energy, shorten the right leg. I do see a lot of that. Yeah. And we can also see this effect sometimes in the arms as well. Um, you know, and uh, the, the physician that is basically my mentor, uh, Dr. Luis Garcia, uh, for years, he had his right arm was shorter than his left. And his father was like, well, that's just genetics. That's how it is. So he would have to get his, you know, suits tailored in a different way. And, you know, once he discovered biomagnetism and we, you know, he recorrected that, you know, now the arms are permanently even. So it's really a matter of just readjusting that imbalance and allowing the body to return to normal. Um, so, yeah, it's very fascinating. Yeah. And it's beautiful that this can be done with things as simple as magnets and tune forks and that we don't need fancy, expensive 
devices that plug in. <laughs> I, <laughs> in I completely, completely agree. And, you know, and so many of the people that either uh, are clients of, of mine or anybody that has, has learned this therapy have usually been through the ringer of the medical establishment and have had very poor experiences or, you know, spent, you know, life savings, uh, you know, trying to resolve an issue. And, and so it's really wonderful to be able to offer something that not only is so portable, but it's simple. I can give the client homework and they can do it themselves. Like you, you can, you have the power to heal yourself. Like I might be a facilitator and I'm there to kind of jumpstart the process, but ultimately you are responsible for that health moving forward. And it doesn't have to be, you know, through this, uh, this model or system of hurting through, you know, billion dollar machines that, you know, that we need to have permission from a doctor to, you know, so I think try to shift the model and the mindset and then also show people that there's a tool available, whether it's tuning forks or magnets that can actually have a, a positive effect uh, without you having to, you know, take a pill or, you know, try to be on some type of regulatory supplement that's going to fix your blood pressure. You know, um, to me, that's critical. And um, that's the whole reason that I do what I do, because I, you know, I really find empowerment to be at the forefront of all of this, really. So, yeah, yeah. I by telling people to get a weighted tuning fork that <laughs> before paying anyone else to tune, you get one of these. <laughs> But the yeah. advantage of having the practitioner, the external person is, again, the metaphor of the kick me sign on your back is pretty astute. And then there's, you know, when we're talking about the anatomy, the biofield, there is stuff farther off away from your body. Sure. Like um, <laughs> there's a guy that I worked with recently that the poor guy had dislocated his right shoulder some 12 or more times over the course of his life and yep. all went back to early childhood not enjoying as a baby, the energy of explosive, poorly managed anger, and then creating the belief, I don't get angry because angry people suck. And then boom, right shoulder problems repeatedly, but it doesn't have to have that continue because the root belief of angry people suck can be removed. And now his normal levels of assertiveness can come through. So my point and bringing that up, Austin is, <laughs> have you incorporated any, I, you know, semblance of the biofield anatomy or the emotional or self-limiting belief type of aspects of how you would approach explaining to someone maybe the why behind their injuries? Or are you more just helping them get over them? Because like, to me, I think the power, like a, a powerful, powerful thing is getting to the, uh, the why <laughs> of it the happening rather than just sort of addressing that it happened, you know? Correct. Um, so typically the way that we look at this is that, you know, there's two schools of thought and I, I find that the middle way is usually the best way. And there's, you know, truth and value and, you know, either end of the extremes, but for example, like, okay, let's say that I have a manifestation of, a, you know, a disease, right? I have, I have a bacterial infection conjunctivitis, strep throat, whatever. If I take a swab and I swab the back of my throat and then I swab the back of your throat with a live bacteria, we're not going to talk about viruses because that's a whole other topic. But um, chances are that it, if that bacteria is um, 
aggressive enough and then your emotional state is poor enough that the bacteria that I just introduced is going to overwhelm your, you know, ability to fight off symptoms. So that's what we would refer to as just direct transference of infection. Now, the reason that it's so important for us to uh, look at emotions is because we all, I would say, would say Dr. Garcia would probably agree with me on this, is that in our line of thinking, it's 50% emotion and then 50% like whatever little bugs are, you know, in your system, which, by the way, the body has the ability to create on its own. You know, the idea that every single germ out there comes from the outside is nonsense, in my opinion. Um, again, I think there obviously are bacteria on surfaces, but we're made up of tons of different little microbes. We're, we're an ocean of life, <laughs> right? And so if we're managing that emotional state, you'll notice that people tend to, that, that can manage that stress or that emotion tend to move through, uh, you know, seasons of what we would refer to like the flu and sickness and whatever, uh, without getting sick. Well, why? Why is that, you know, if there's a supposed bug that's going to get you? Um, most of the time, it's because they can manage the emotion. But when you introduce an overburdened uh, human being with a chronic emotional state that's not helpful, you find that disease will show up. So for us, it's kind of like an iceberg where we have emotions as like the basic causal factor. And then everything else kind of stems out from that. If that makes sense. So, yes, like, uh, for example, um, Eileen, I'm not sure if you're familiar with muscle testing. I'm sure you probably know it right. So that's how primarily that's how we scan um, is, is through muscle testing and asking. So we'll ask at the feet, but there's a thousand ways to do it. And really, we're just asking the body, what do you need from me in order to facilitate your healing? You know, and so a part of a session with us is also including asking about those emotions. And sometimes, you know, if we find what we would call a pathogen, I'm always asking, is there an emotion associated with that pathogen? Do I really need to observe and root it out in order to bring it up to the client so that they can either have an emotional release or figure out a way to manage it in a way that allows them to move forward uh, without being stuck. So I think that's where there's a, a lot of um, positive overlap between, you know, your therapy, Eileen, and, and kind of what we do. Because, you know, sound and magnetism and all that stuff is really, it's playing with the same systems in a way, you know. And so I think that's well, fascinating. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really, to me, the exact same. Because because a, tuning, a vibrating tuning fork being passed through your magnetic field is having a magnetic effect, right? So we know right. that magnetic fields guide and inform electric currents. And so I'm manipulating the magnetic field in order to shift the way electricity is running the body, right? Just supporting the body and getting itself in order, you know, and you're doing the same thing. You're just supporting it and getting itself in order. It wants to get in order. It's yes. just having time. <laughs> you know, so we're coming with the same thing this with the magnetic force, basically. Yeah. We're yeah. coming in with the same thing to do, to do the same thing. And yeah, emotions play a huge role. You know, how... How uh, regulated is the system? If the system stays in a state of regulation and coherence, it doesn't need to break down and discharge and rest. <laughs> you know, it, it's, exactly. it's really fine and it doesn't need to go into deep cleaning mode 
Um, right. You know, which that's what I see flus as is like when your oven deeps cleans, it gets hot and you know, can't cook anything. In it and you just gotta, it's just gotta clean out. And, yeah. uh, and, and, you know, as far as like do bacteria and um, viruses, are there little boogeymen out there that jump around? Um, I wonder about that. You know, I think the way to reconcile that duality is through the idea of resonance. You know, that certainly we can resonate in each other. If, if you're, you know, you've been stressed and tired and your body is suddenly resonating with that need to like clean out and shut down. And I'm also kind of tired and beat down and that resonance is going to kind of, it's going to kick off my deep cleaning cycle, you know, just like a yawn does. I mean, when I yawn and make you yawn, I don't get any yawn particles on you, you know, but it just kind of kicks in the same response. Same with women and their periods or even people throwing up, you know, it's just like, it's a, it's a resonant response rather than um, a microbe. I just, Dude, I don't know. I'm just not the vibe is what is infectious. Well, as well I so, to that too, that uh, the work of guys like Matt Powers, who we've talked to before demonstrating that at least several of the more common forms of bacteria serve as a type of universal chassis that can change into other, like literally shift its own genetic expression based on what is applicable in the environment that it finds itself. So for all we know, it's actually not, we're getting infected from some external thing, but that the vibe that we decide to hold in our vessel, the feeling that gets stuck or like Eileen mentioned, you know, what is in the environment around us? Like somebody else detoxing giving us the signal that maybe we should too because we're in a similar environment then the bacteria biome inside of us may just change like i think that perhaps tuning and biomagnetic magnet uh, biomagnetism can pretty much shift your biome without you needing to supplement the probiotics and things of that nature don't get me wrong fermented foods are good I think that there's probably both approaches have some effect, but I think we have more sovereignty over our inner world, even down to that granular microbiome without necessarily needing uh, anything other than to take full responsibility for our energy. Sure. I I would absolutely agree. I mean, and and of course there is that physical aspect, right? We eat food. We need to make sure that we are getting nutrients to build a healthy cell. Right. Because if we don't eat, we would die. Or if we don't drink, you know, fluid, then we'll dehydrate and we'll kick the bucket that way. Um, but yes, and that's that's kind of why I mentioned pleomorphism, because, you know, there are those microbes that are, you know, visible in the blood that have the ability to either signal or, you know, however it occurs doesn't really matter. The fact is, is that the, the body innately already knows what it needs, when it needs it. Um, and, and of course, I, I have seen plenty of people that are in what we would refer to as a chronic disease state. And I do think, you know, if you're going to, say, go to the hospital, say, if you get in a car accident, right, and you're bleeding out or whatever, you got laceration and they have to intervene and remove glass or do what whatever it is, you've opened up a cavity that normally is not exposed to the outside world. And and I do think in those cases, that's where we have to use temperance and say, okay, well, this person did get an infection, but that's because you're changing the local environment that normally would not exist that way. In the same way that like a urinary tract infection, you know, even like if you were to measure 
uh, you know, through your analysis, even though that, you know, we could argue about the, you know, how accurate they are, but let's just say, for example, like if we find, you know, the E. coli bacteria, which is normal in our system, right. It's supposed to be in the gut. Um, but if we find it in the urinary tract, it's not supposed to be there. So it could cause inflammation. But again, you, you would never normally see that unless you're tampering with things in a way that <laughs> the nature didn't intend. Right. So if you get I a cat. E. coli is one of them that Powers was demonstrating shifts into other stuff. And and they do. That's, again, the, this uh, model of pleomorphism that, you know, given the electrical value changes or, uh, you know, there's some type of shift. Uh, whether it's emotional, energetic, or whatever, that, you know, a bacteria can turn into a blood cell, and then that blood cell can turn into a parasite. And and we don't understand, you know, the mechanism of how that occurs exactly. But, um, again, it's it's a mechanism of need, you know, how what is needed at the time. Uh, Eagleson you know, brothers talk a lot about that, how the body's, like, inner, internal generating parasites basically to run particular protocols that the body's actually needing to happen. I think that's the right. really helpful takeaway is that everything dissonant, everything dissonant or symptomatic is actually our body doing its best with what we are offering <laughs> and signaling right. us to help us see, you know, in a way mirroring back to us what it is that we're giving to it. I wanted to ask Eileen though about the, this is maybe slightly a pivot, but I think that it pertains to magnetism quite well. You talked about on the 12th, on your 12th episode of Sonic Sundays on Eileen's YouTube channel, which people should go subscribe to. There are detectable bands that are vertical in the biofield, which is very interesting. You brought up the 12 bands of the biofield and how that might relate to what people talk about in terms of 12 strand DNA activation, kind of new agey feeling stuff, but also like maybe something that we can tap into with our intentionality. Can you tell us a little bit about the bands you've detected in the biofield? Because that sounds very magnetic to me when you see visual representations of magnetic fields, it's always like that with this sort of banded, you know, concentric ring type structure. Yeah, even if you take a bar magnet and you put a piece of paper over it and sprinkle iron filings, they'll form into these bands uh, around the magnet. <clears throat> and so I don't, I don't even know really how it came to me. I think it was sort of like in a, a meditative vision. It's just sort of dawned on me that I that the field was banded. So your bar field is a bubble, it's a plasma bubble and a torus. So the way that I perceive it is that uh, you have a central channel, you draw in positive charge from the atmosphere and the sun and negative charge from the surface of the earth and they spiral around going up the spine like the Ida and the Pingala and the Vedic representation of this positive and negative charge. And then the charges circulate around the outer boundary of the field and create a double layer plasma membrane. That's the boundary of our sort of discrete electrical system. And, uh, and so, you know, you think about a torus, you think about a bubble, you might think of it as being smooth. Um, but, but I just kind of got insight into the fact that it actually had 12 bands and, uh, and that, you know, they're maybe about that wide um, and in their way around. And so we know we have, I think, 12 cranial nerves, the idea that there's 12 um, meridians. Um, and then, of course, Arthur and his 12 knights and Christ and his 12 disciples, this sort of image of 12 around one. Zodiac. Sort of, 
sort yeah the 12 the zodiac right so so this sort of this this um breaking things into this 12 really shows up everywhere metaphorically it's fractal in a lot of different kinds of representations and then i got the insight that each one of those 12 bands was comprised of 12 strands almost like fiber optic you remember fiber optic lamps? Oh, <laughs> <Like> yeah. The, <laughs> From like the 80s. Yeah, yeah. From the 80s. There's like 12 like fiber optic strands inside each band, um, which creates 144 strands of light circulating through us continuously. And I know people talk about, you know, I've heard peripherally of like 144 strand DNA or DNA activations, but I, I, you know, this is a spiraling thing. And I think if people have sort of seen that vision and I kind of had this vision and the seeing of it, um, that there's something to it. And, uh, and that there's, so what I did in that particular broadcast was just kind of make everybody hit to the fact this is going on and, uh, and then did a tuning to just increase the amount of light and energy flowing through that whole system, right? Because the tensile integrity of our, the boundary of our biofield is really key in all forms of health. Like if you think about cell membranes, any kind of membranes, right? Like a good egg has got like a nice thick shell. Whereas if you ever crack an egg and it's got a thin shell, you're like, I don't know what that thing is. (laughs) That's right. So this yeah. idea of having a strong membrane is really important. So, you know, any kind of this idea that it's banded, we want those bands to be really strong as well. And uh, and so just using sound and intention and awareness to uh, increase the voltage in that whole circulatory system. So I, w- I want to jump in and throw a lot of my thoughts all on the table while we're talking about the 12 bands. Uh I've got all kinds of notes, so I'm just going to throw it all out. So one of the things I do is I'm very linguistic, and uh, I see a lot of subtle energies seeded into our consciousness right in plain sight. They go overlooked. And one good example is like, you know, a lot of people were talking about what the CDC says for two or three years. Well, the phrase CDC says is whispering seed diseases. And so all those times people keep saying the CDC says, the CDC says, we are crop dusting our consciousness with twilight language. And we're actually creating a fertile mindset for disease to be seeded. Mm -hmm. And so I have quite a few really fun examples of this kind of magic. You know, I'm really. This is why I keep this guy around. <laughs> Spellcasting, yeah. You got it. You got it. Yep. Yeah. I'm I'm really dialed into these uh subtle powers of suggestion. You know, we know about the nocebo effect is really a, a valuable thing to uh for people to maybe pick up and look into. You know, they say that there was a fella in the schoolyard that all the guys really hated this dude. So yeah, big love Carrie. Uh uh, and so they decided, you know, we're going to get this guy. We're going to really give him his his comeuppance. They uh, they black bagged him at night and took him out in the schoolyard. And they told him, they suggested to him, we're going to cut your head off. And I'm I'm going to keep this PG. You know, they were really, really getting this guy worked up. And they put him down on a stump. And then they threw a cold rag on his neck. And he died. Because they told him, we're going to kill you. And when that rag hit him. Homie believed it. And so the nocebo effect also, there's another term. I don't actually have the 
scientific phrasing for this, but you know, women can get pregnant and not to be pregnant. They can go all the way to term and there's no baby in there. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of a Virgin Mary kind of thing going on. And I don't know what that's called, but that's a real thing that women can be pregnant with no baby in there. Uh, So the power of suggestion really gets to me. And so uh, I just thought I would throw this one too. Um, 12 bands. 12 is such a sacred number. And it's, it's seated in our language in really fun and cool ways. Like um, when we say went to, want to, on to, into, all of those are saying the one and the two. That standard of the 12 that is the metrics of the matrix of the realm. So I just wanted to throw all that out there that like even in our language, that sacred 12 you're talking about is like subtly acknowledged, but we don't acknowledge that it's uh, that it is. It's a it's a standard of the of the way we speak. So I'll just throw all that out. Step back. Wow. Well, that's really cool. Now I'm going to look at that differently. <laughs> One, two. Yeah, on two. CDC says that was a good one. Bro. Yeah, that's that's a good one. Yeah. And, and you know, um, in our crowd, we're pretty skeptical about, um, you know, CV and everything that went down uh, with all that. So, yeah, I'm, I'm tracking. I'm, I'm getting what you're throwing down. <laughs> I also noticed just randomly that your shirt and this random painting in the hotel are very similar in the vibe. So, they are. Uh, yes. Universal synchronicity at work tonight, right? (laughs) That's his vibrant uniform. (laughs) Where am I? Um, Interversemerch.com, everybody. (laughs) Get some of my art. You know, I got one more. Uh, I thought of this last week. I dropped it on Chance, and Chance was like, oh, that's right. Um, This this is a good one. Um, Eileen, I think you'll like this. So uh, a while back, we uh, something we do over on another channel on the spiders, we're really into uh, this study of uh, ophiolatry. Is that right, Chance? Did I say it right? Ophiolatry? Yep. It's a uh, serpent yeah. symbolism in religion. Yep. Not to be confused with ophiology, <laughs> which is a word I made up, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so o- ophi means serpent. And it's hiding out in our language in the most fascinating ways. I believe it's Greek, uh, you know, even like an officer has a lot to do with, the, you know, the, the snakiness of, of, the, uh, of the dynamics. But it's uh, so you're talking about the biomorphic field has the two layers and the 12 bands. Well, in the word biomorphic is uh, or no, in the biofield, that's it. It's in the word biofield is by to Ophi snakes. Wow. So it even it sneaks in in places where we don't even realize that there's a deeper truth to this language and it comports to the unseen realm in just fascinating and fun ways. Uh, so yeah, that one hit me last week. I thought I'd slide that your way. I'm really glad. That was a little bit of a mind blow. <laughs> <laughs> Biomorphic field biofield biofield is like two snakes like a caduceus right yeah like a caduceus yeah exactly just positive and negative charges spiraling around each other so yeah another very magnetic aspect of the biofield in terms of the way that probably a lot of eileen students would deal with it and uh, part of my practice revolves around 
well, I call them the holes of the donut because <laughs> people will visualize that well, but it's the uh, terminal points of sort of the battery of our energy that is our energy field above the head, below the feet. And I noticed that if there was nothing else that I addressed with somebody, that that seems like finding those and adjusting them to the optimal centered and balanced location could potentially be the most useful thing I did for them of the whole session <laughs> in terms of helping them self-correct because it'll be off to the left, off to the right and repeating clients. I don't know if this is true for you, Eileen, in your experience, but I noticed that when people come back months later, that adjustment seems to stick pretty well. And another thing that can happen is like, I have seen people's terminal points or holes of the donut, the you know entry exit swirling energy vortex points above the head, below the feet, again, be in front of the person where they're actually holding their the middle of their energy in front of them and actually kind of making a wall in front of themselves. And these are the people that feel very stuck in life, like they are burdened or crippled with some extreme challenges that they can't get over or get past. And so like, you know, in terms of the magnetism of it, if there's magnetism going on on a subtle energy level and you're putting your magnetic field in front of you, it's almost like a, an actual force field that is holding you back in life or almost impenetrable. So I'd love to talk a little bit about that, Eileen. Well, I call that the heart shield because I will often sort of find it uh, right around the heart. You know, I often find the bulk of it sort of right in front of the heart. That is accurate for my experience too. Yeah. It's projecting a false front. You know, it's, it's not, it's being inauthentic. It's, it's being like, okay, this is who I have to be in order to be safe. But the real me, because I'm not good enough or I'm too vulnerable or I'm damaged or whatever. So I'm going to create this projection of myself. And, and it does create enormous stuckness because all your energy has gone into this false projection and it takes everything you've got just to kind of navigate from there. Um, and it's really, it's really about encouraging people to realize that they're, they're safe if they are safe, if they're in a place where they're safe and, and helping to just kind of release that whole structure and allow the energy to go where it belongs. You know, when my, when my sons were six and nine, I had really bad mid back pain and uh, my husband will pick up a tuning, a tuning fork. So I try, I started to train my sons to work on me. And, uh, and more than my younger son now, so he's 22. He is a biofield tuning practitioner. He became one when he was 17. Uh, but I asked him when he was six and he was learning how to do this. I was like, so tell me what's going on here. And he said, it's taking energy from where it doesn't belong and putting it where it does belong so it can get to work doing what it's supposed to do. And I was like, wow, right, Austin, you kind of this, that's, that's what you guys it's are the doing. Same. It's the exact same thing. Yep. Uh, well said. Right. It's simple and matter of fact. And that's yeah, true. simple and matter of fact. And so when energy doesn't belong out here, it's not able to do what it's supposed to do. So you just got to get it back flowing the way it's supposed to. But Austin, I'm curious about something. So what Chance is describing in you know, the battery terminals in the field, like the donut holes where the right. it's going in. Have you ever held magnets in that area? Or do you just always do it on the body? Because I'd be really curious to see what you notice working in the terminal points in the field. So 
that's a really interesting question. Um, we, I don't know that we've ever done it in that fashion, but um, there, there is the more um, esoteric uh, aspect of biomagnetism where we get into remote healing, which is, I would say, 98% of my clients are remote sessions. So there's no physical magnet being placed on a client. I'm actually using a, a completely inanimate object surrogate to place the pairs. And then I'm visualizing that and then sending the energy. Um, so, you know, and what's very fascinating about all that is that, you know, you can see these real world examples of, I think one of my favorites has been the most recent. Uh, I had a girl in Norway who had a, an allergy to red meat. And so like she could eat really anything else, but the, um, the red meat would cause her to break out in hives and, um, experience a mild anaphylaxis, tongue started to swell, you know, the typical symptoms. Um, and so I wasn't really sure what the outcome was going to look like for her. And after three sessions, I got a text message from her mother and she said, Hey, you know, my daughter came back home from this you know, overseas and she's back home in the States. And she had red meat for the first time in uh, a couple of years and no reaction at all. And so I found that really fascinating because um, we we're seeing the same effect, except I didn't place anything on her. So um, again, that goes to the whole idea that it's energy. So to that end and bring it back home to your question. Um, I've never actually done that kind of outside or off of the body. Um, but I think that would be really interesting and fun to play with. I've been really curious too, about this idea that, you know, in, in a lot of the older texts and even in some of like the eighties, you know, messing with magnetism, uh, you know, Albert Roy Davis and uh, Walter C. Rawls were doing a lot of work in the seventies. And so they had their specific opinions about, you know, what the North pole might do and what the South pole does. Um, we find that really the body knows best. So it, it may want a, a North magnet wherever, and it may want a South wherever. And sometimes those are, you know, we have what I would refer to as uh, standardized pairs, you know, and primarily when Dr. Goyce was, you know, sort of pioneering this therapy. Uh, typically what you will see is that black magnets go on the right half of the body. And for us, black is South and that the red goes on the left half of the body. Um, which would be north. And of course, there are exceptions like we only have one spleen, which is on the left. And so, you know, if you were to try and rebalance the spleen, you have to use red and black on the left side. But primarily, you know, if we had, say, uh, you know, a deltoid deltoid pair, you would see black on the right half of the body and red on the left. But um, this will be something interesting for me to play with moving forward. <laughs> so thank you for that. I really appreciate it. Yeah, um, so there's kind of an interesting feature of this that also might inform your work. So well, what I've found is that uh, sometimes if people have had significant trauma, if they spent a lot of time and energy or intense energy into being in a contracted state, out of fear, out of being under attack, that sort of thing. Then their then their field gets kind of squunched in, and these these energy centers, which should be about I don't know eight to ten inches sort of away from the body, can end up sometimes with some people like right up between their ankles or you know a few inches from. And so part of what we do is we kind of find where it is by moving the fork like away from the head or away from the feet until you've get this sort of magnetic grab, like you can feel it, like right? Um, and then if it's close, then we adjust it, and we just very gently sort of pull it out and, and kind of set it straight, which is a similar kind of thing to, like we said, about adjusting leg length, too. Because I often right. find, you know, because a lot of people I've treated have 
uh, their legs are imbalanced as well. And it's just about sort of releasing the tension that's in there, right? And then how yeah. important it is to kind of get people plumb and square. Um, yes. But I also find that this sort of adjusting and sort of stretching out the field is also important, you know, to just so that you're working in a system that's sort of spread out and relaxed as opposed mm-hmm. to in a, in a bunch. So yeah. that's just something you can kind of move the magnet, you know, away from the body until you kind of sense the grab. I would love that. Well, and in fact, what's really interesting and fun about that is, you know, we could muscle test and ask the body, Hey, how many inches do you want the magnet away? Or, you know, I mean, there's, there's been so many questions that I just never realized, you know, sky is the limit almost um, when you're asking the field for information and the body is really just acting as a channel for this rudimentary language we're using. Um, you know, I forget the guy's name and we always talk about it in our seminars, but, um, and I think I mentioned it maybe on our first uh, podcast chance, but, uh, the guy that was working with uh, cactus in uh, like the early fifties. And he was basically trying to see if he could get a cactus to put away its spines And so every morning he would just go to this cactus and he would ask it, will you put away your spines? And eventually what happened when the new growth started to occur, the cactus was a spineless cactus. And in fact, that's one of the first uh, edible uh, cultivated spineless cactuses. Most people don't know it came from this guy experimenting by just asking it, will you put away your spine? So it's kind of dovetails with, you know, Dr. Well, not Dr. But, uh, Isari Emoto, uh, you know, his work with water and the idea of, you know, intention kind of, uh, supersedes the, the language barrier that, you know, somehow the, the energy understands the, the will or drive behind it. So I think it'd be cool to do that, um, with, you know, asking them the body, like how, how far away can we actually go with this? Because, you know, in remote, there, there isn't a physical magnet involved. So I think at some point you really ask yourself like, well, do we really need the magnet at all? Right. You can just, yeah, what do we yeah. right. <laughs> I actually um, sometimes put the forks down and I just use my hand Yeah, because in some ways I can find what I'm looking for more easily that way. The forks give other types of information in the way that the sound changes. There's things you can interpret out of the fork. That's great, but you could do the whole thing with your body if you were sensitive to your body communicating with you. And what I always do in this, I want everyone to take note and listen up for a moment as I go through this is that I ask my body to do the whole thing and I get, you know, permission to be connected with their body. It's the life force energy that animates their body and my body, the client and myself, that is actually the dynamic, intelligent, Harm, like harmonizing centropic force or ordering principle, not just in us, but in the whole cosmos. It's life force energy, whatever that pre-existing spirit is that makes everything move. <laughs> you know, that's really what it is that does the whole process. And I look at it like my body and your body are communicating to help each body adjust in a healthy way. But you and I, the conscious being, the ego, what have you, is we're the translators for them. And in that, you know, in, in knowing that you can actually do so much by asking, like whenever I have, uh, I I've, I've had in my life in the past, and this is how I really dealt with it, bladder control issues in the sense of like, I need to go to the bathroom in emergency for like zero to emergency too fast mm-hmm. <laughs> and too often. So I'd always be like uncomfortable 
squirming because, you know, it's not a good time to go to the bathroom and I don't have a moment. And what I realized is asking bladder, talking directly to bladder and saying, could you just tighten up a little bit and just relax? I mean, tighten up, but also relax because we really want that. You know, it's too elastic. It's starting to be uncomfortable. Anyway, whatever the case may be, you can ask your body to do things. And what I would like people who have a moment and are listening right now, we're talking about these holes of the donut, these terminal points of your arc field, the battery. Uh, the picture that I had up of the Taurus field here is an approximation of what we're talking about. Yeah, that's a bad one because it's too it strong. <laughs> you need a better one, Chance. I know. It's a quick Google image search and it's no good, but you know, <laughs> it's not good. I'll just put that away. But I want people listening to uh, just for a moment, let's take a second. And let's adjust those terminal points to the ideal position. Because what I do with a, a client all the time is I almost over explain what it is I'm about to do. And I tell them up front, like if I'm explaining a lot of what I'm, I'm doing or about to do, and it sounds technical, I'm actually really more talking to your body <laughs> and it hears what we want. You're like, yes, I trust this idea. I'm going to go with it. You're allowing it. And then your body does the adjustments. So right now listening, if you want, you know, if you heard us talking about these terminal points above the head, below the feet, and you'd like to feel like they're adjusted, I'm going to adjust them both right now for anyone that wants to with this sound being the medium, the sonic slider being the medium that allows it to happen. So if you agree to this, it can happen. <laughs> and also if you maybe even do a little scanning and sensing into your field and imagine the shape of this chortle field. And as I hit the forks, we'll start with the top one and then we'll do the bottom one. Just imagine this terminal point or the opening of this vortex shape being eight to 10 inches above your head and aligned with your spine. And then the below one, eight to 10 inches below your feet aligned with the spine right in the middle. So we'll just take a moment and do that for everybody. You're totally able to make this shift without anything other than knowing what you want it to be. and getting into the the feeling of it happening, you know? So here we go. We're going to adjust the top one now. All right. I felt that one click into place. And now we'll do the one below the feet. Eight to 10 inches below the feet aligned with the spine. All right, guys, I felt the click. And that's what I was looking for, just like I would with anybody else. So, you know, just have the faith and trust that adjustments to your biofield can be that easy. <laughs> and we have all the power to take such radical responsibility for our energy that there's no reason not to. Now, I really liked what you said, Eileen, about your son as like a six-year-old describing so accurately the energetics of that situation. and. I had this question in my back pocket for both of you, but definitely for Eileen. 
it's been life-changing for me to have access to the biofield anatomy, to recognize when I'm trying to have it both ways, <laughs> that my the back of my ankle will hurt, and to look at where I'm trying to have it both ways and make the connection and then immediately feel relief in the sore ankle, <laughs> you know, things like that, just really quick. And I wanted to know what you think the future could be like for humanity or maybe just in a micro scale, what it would be like for, you know, what it has been like for your kids, for example, you know, cause I'm thinking about the future. I want to be a dad and I'm imagining what kind of a human being would you be creating if from a young age, every boo-boo they got, they stopped and reflected about their emotions and their beliefs and tried to connect the dots as to why they got the injury. Do you think, you know, how have your kids been with their knowledge of the biofield? Do they have as dramatic of injuries or accidents or mishaps? Or do they tend towards smaller things occurring that they then make adjustments on? Uh, well, a few things. First of all, I just want to thank you for being the one who is wielding tuning forks and doing the adjustment in this gathering. And it wasn't me. <laughs> As you have to do that. Uh, Michael, so I would never be doing it without learning from you, though. So thank you, Sensei. Um, and, you know, it's been really interesting. Both of my both of my boys are very cautious. I, you know, I've, I'm the rare mother that had two sons that never ended up in an emergency room, no broken, you know, knock on wood, no broken bones, no crazy accidents. They're both extremely conservative and, and sort of restrained. And, you know, they don't, they're just not wild. Um, but you know, my, my, the, because of the way they grew up with this understanding, right. And, and so much of biofield tuning is really emotional intelligence. It's really understanding that like, Oh, my left shoulder hurts. I, you know, what am I sad about? Right. Like, just like you were saying, chance, because they, they understand that. And I think that, that, but it's sort of baked into them. Um, you know, maybe not in a cognitive way, but enough to rip, to feel into their own body when they're going into imbalance and to correct themselves. And actually my 22 year old just started dating a 36 year old woman who is just astonished by his degree of emotional intelligence and ability to communicate. Um, and that he's really uh, become skilled in that as a biofield tuner, you know, and being in people's fields and listening deeply and, uh, and understanding what's going on. Um, he's had to do a, a lot of work because back before I understood <laughs> uh, these things, he had a, um, a massive febrile seizure uh right after he got his nine month vaccinations and um, and it really was very traumatizing and really changed his personality. He was 10 months old and I, I thought I had given birth to Buddha. I was like, this child is Buddha. And, uh, and then he turned into a demon beast child after this uh, seizure and uh, you know, couldn't handle, just couldn't handle things. It was just so cooked from, from seizing and seizing and seizing and seizing and being in drugs and a spinal tap and all kinds of stuff. Um, so going through his life, like early behavioral problems and things like that, he has had to become extremely self-aware about his own tendency to go dysregulated and how to reel himself into regulation, um, which actually has made him a really good therapist working with young people who suffer from the same kind of things same kind of challenges um, but I think tuning and tuning forks really helped 
get him straightened out. Like I helped from the outside and then helped him to help himself from the inside. And that's really the essence of the work. Because if you come to see me and your right hip hurts, because like you were saying, Chance, your inner critic and your to-do list is just running, I can adjust that for you. But if you don't start to mind your own mind, you're going to have to just keep coming back to me to fix you. <laughs> I don't want to do that. I'm like, yeah, I showed you what's going on in your own head. Now you got to keep yourself sorted and like stay in the present moment and stop indulging that to do list. And then this again, it's coming back to asking for it. The mind is like any other aspect of body in that sense that I, I advise people, okay, you've got this to do list running. Now I want you to ask your mind for notification because the mind is great at pattern recognition and it loves games. Ask it to notify you when you're running the to-do list torture. And then when it, when you get the notification, then you get to make the decision. Oh, I don't need to spend mental energy on this right now. Just relax and do what I'm currently doing. Yeah. Well, that's what the pain is for, right? I mean, the pain is that twinge, like, Hey, something's out of balance, right? That that's if, if, but it would maybe you'd be much better off having your mind tell you than having to experience pain to realize that you're, you're not in a balanced place. Yeah. I wanted to share, you made me think of something and it's just kind of along these lines. Um, sometimes I like to eat, uh, dark chocolate, like a uh, creamy dark chocolate kind of stuff. And I've noticed that when I do that, that I tend to get mucusy, that it kind of makes me mucusy. And so I went to bed the other night and I was feeling kind of mucusy because I eaten some truffle thing. And, uh, and I was like, you know what, I'm going to command my body to not be mucusy. And I was like, and so I basically just said, I am not mucusy. And I realized that there was kind of like almost a, a posture involved in that mucus. And so when I decreed that I wasn't mucusy, I noticed how my spine and my breathing adjusted. And when I did that, when I changed my posture and I changed my breathing, the mucus went away instantly. Yep. That I mean, makes this, a lot of it, sense. Man. It's I very, very, it yeah, it's very similar. I lean to, you know, Joe Dispenza, like, you know, we, we have this innate power to, you know, we're, we're never taught, how to cultivate it. So it's almost like we're all in diapers <laughs> really figuring this stuff out. I think at some point in the distant past, it was very well understood and for whatever reason it has been lost and then rediscovered again. But uh, that's, that's really a, a fantastic uh, testimony and a really cool story. So, yeah. Right. And I was kind of like doing a magnet thing on myself in a way. Well, right? that's because that, that's because we're magnets. Yeah, exactly. Right, we alone like connected the magnet. Oh, no more mucus. (laughs) That's right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're you're you are the magnet. (laughs) So that's fantastic. Um, Eileen, I did want to ask you. I've always been curious about this. Um, What was it for you that um, made you determine or decide? You know, say with like the 174 hertz fork, that that was going to be sort of the bread and butter. You know. And moving forward, obviously, you've got a lot more, you know, in your tool belt now. But um, was that something that you had, you know, just played around with and discovered, well, this one seems to cut through the noise better? Or was there a a more spiritual aspect to your you know, reason why you chose 174. (laughs) Okay. Just, you know, I was just curious. So yeah, no, just experimentation. So my, my first set was the C major scale and I used that for a while. And then after a while using that, I, uh, I started feeling like I needed a 
an additional set. I started feeling like I needed some new frequencies. And so I went online and I don't know what year this, I don't know what year this was, 2005, something like that, 2004. And uh, I went online and I, I looked and even back then there were, there was like a dizzying array of tuning fork sets. And I was like, well, I don't know what one to pick. So I closed the computer and I was like, God, I know I need new forks, but I don't know what I need. <laughs> figure it out right and right. so then the weirdest thing happened okay so over the course of the next week i had three people bring up the solfeggio set to me one of my girlfriends said to me she sends me a text she's like hey i just met somebody using solfeggio tuning forks have you ever heard of them and i was like no and then i somebody else messaged me and they're like uh, i just watched this video on youtube about solfeggio tuning forks have you ever heard of them and i was like yes actually just a couple days ago. <laughs> Honest to God, this happened. I met a girlfriend for lunch. This man hadn't seen in a while. And we sit down and she pulls a book out of her bag and puts it on the table. And she said, this practically jumped off the shelf as I was leaving the house. I think you need to read it. And it was called The Healing Codes for the Biological Apocalypse. And it's the story of how Leonard Horowitz allegedly uh, had these solfeggio frequencies revealed to him because it was like hidden in the Bible or something. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> and this solfeggio set is based on threes. Yeah. So there right, it is. Yep. All of I was made just, an infographic about it. I'll put it in the Vibrant Telegram yeah. chat. I was just studying this last week. I can't believe you dropped that name today. That's so awesome. The, 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 the universe and synchronicities, you know. Yeah, it's so lining up. How I got yeah. into Selfeggio Forks is I started with the Solar Harmonic C to C set. Worked That's with fair. it for like a week or two. And then the set literally disappeared. And I was like, okay, well, I had been 50-50. Should I do Solfeggio or Solar Harmonic? The Solar Harmonic vanished. So I, you know, I sucked it up and bought another set of forks and I got the Solfeggio and I really like it. Okay, so I use so I used that nine piece solfeggio, and after a while, I decided I really didn't like the C scale. It sounded kind of dumb and muddy and dulling, whereas the solfeggio tones are very bright. And I liked all of them except for the 285, which would never ring right for me. It was always sounded diminished and sort of frustrating to me. But what I found was of all of those frequencies that the 174 was the most useful. It was the one that I could hear the most, right? So I learned the language of vibration by bouncing sound off of, you know, thousands of people now. And right. and 174 is really the fork that taught me that language because information just comes through when you get up into the higher frequencies. Um, it's not as easy to discern the patterns in the overtones and undertones. But then I went through a period where I was breaking my forks, which I talk about in my book. Um, I went through this very sort of strange spell um, of, of destroying forks. It's it such an odd thing. So I was trying to, uh, to, to write my book, Tuning the Human Biofield, while being a mom and uh, seeing clients and teaching classes. So I was trying to do all of it at the same time. And, um, and I was, had been using the, the Solfeggio set, uh, and I'd found that the 174 would wear out. And I'd been through a couple. They had lasted about six months. And, uh, and the guy replaced at Metavibe, who's my manufacturer now, replaced the first one. The second one, he's like, these forks aren't designed to be used the way you're using them. Because they get right. into heavy portion, right? And you're going through and you hit yeah. some 
traumatic memory and the force going like, wow, wow, it's making all these sounds. It just makes because you're just like changing instrument, you know? So, so right, yeah, you're digging and that's just a little, yeah. Yeah, so they were getting metal fatigue and just basically like losing their integrity and falling apart. So then what happened was I went through the stage where a fork only lasted, it blew out after two months, then one month, then two weeks, then one week. And then it actually got to the point where every time I picked up a tuning fork to use it, I destroyed it. It, it was so freaking bizarre. Like I would teach classes and people were like, you can't touch my forks. Because I kept on being out of them, you know, the other right. more. And I'm like, what the heck is going on? And it finally got to the point where, you know, when I had that one that just died within an hour, I was like, I'm putting the forks down. Like I just, something is trying to tell me something here and I have to put the forks down and stop. And really, I mean, I think it was some part of my higher self knows how to destroy metal immediately because I needed to take a break from seeing clients and really focus on my book. Like the only way that I was going to write that book was if I was completely incapable of seeing clients. And that's what it took because I would have, you know, I'm such a knucklehead. I would have just kept on going on trying to do it all, you know, (laughs) and then my book would have been super. I believe they call that bothism. It's a Libra thing. I have it too. (laughs) One of my favorite words. I'm also a fellow Libra. So (laughs) So here we are balancing. I know, right? Yeah, so it was a very strange thing, um, and but it's what led to me to make my own custom alloy right. um, that stands up to it, it's both stronger and more flexible, so it hang, handles the distortion right. better. And as soon as I got, the, as soon as I finished writing my book and I went back to my practice, I stopped breaking forks, and I got these new alloys too. But the whole sure. it just stopped. So that isn't that weird. That like, oh sure, well that's you know that's like a universe trying to give you the message, right? Yes. <laughs> and, and sometimes for you know the more stubborn folk out there, it takes a little more nudging. <laughs> so, like you must stop. The universe was like, yeah, you can't. Forks, yeah, you run out of money this? to buy new forks. Yeah, I'll you quit for a while. <laughs> you know when that was oh, going on? Did you notice? Were you doing remote sessions at all then, or was that before remote sessions came? No, out? I was doing remote sessions then too. Yeah, I started doing remote sessions in I think 2011, and I was writing the book in 2013. Because I'm, I'm still, you know, who isn't, but I'm still fuzzy about like what is or isn't different, or is there anything different about remote sessions and in-person sessions? And you know, you're talking about hitting that heavy torsion in someone's energy field with the fork, and then that can mess up the metal. And in a remote session, they're not physically there. Is there a heavy torsion there or is the fork reacting without the actual resistance, but it's still doing something different having to do with your body's electricity? You know, all of that is kind of like the question in dowsing. Is it your electricity in your hands that causes the dowsing rods to react or is it the electricity or magnetism in the environment or is it some combination of all that? All of these questions are You're assuming separation. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, w- I was yeah. going to say, you know, part, part of that, you that's know, the answer us, right there for us, at least, you know, I mean, obviously we would all love to know everything there is to know about everything. Right. But, uh, you know, for us, we try to uh, at least have a framework to discuss it in some way. Otherwise everything is ambiguous and then everything is nothing. Um, but <laughs> you know, in, in a way it's like, um, you know, the idea of quantum locking or somehow this energy, you know, everything is really not distanced or separate. Uh, 
Um, but uh, I, to kind of answer your question in a way, at least from my own um, observation and experience chance, I would say that there are cases where I have seen um, miraculous turnaround after just one session. And then there are some times where maybe it takes three or four or five. And I, I think there's that relationship. And I don't necessarily assign that to myself as the facilitator per se, um, but that maybe that energy exchange just needs a little extra hug. You know, uh, and maybe that hug has to happen once or twice before it recorrects itself. Um, but then other people may be a little more eager. And so with the remote, you know, I mean, the, the case in Norway, I think, was really the big kicker for me because, you know, I mean, that's I could give you other examples of remote healing cases that I've done. Um, I had a lady with calcium deposits in her shoulder, very painful you know, wants to be active in this and that. And, uh, you know, and she can't really, you know, range of motion is an issue and we're doing remote sessions. She's, uh, in North Carolina. So, I mean, nowhere near where I am and, you know, and it took a few sessions, but then we started to see a reduction in the calcium deposits. So then you have to ask this philosophical question, is it because she believes that something is happening that causes the body to respond or is my energy interacting with her energy, uh, to be determined, I guess the point, I guess at the end of the day for all of that is that, um, we're trying to see a positive shift, uh, so that somebody can have a better quality of existence in that regard. Um, I don't know that for me, I've ever seen that magnets are more powerful in person versus remote. Um, I think a lot of that depends on the interaction of the energy, kind of like you were talking about, Eileen, with, uh, you know, resonating when somebody's in a bad mood, you're, you know, if you're not managing your own stuff, you may start to resonate. And then you're now you're both in this like really awful position. Um, so I don't know if I fully answered that, but I was just kind of on the vibrant. Right. <laughs> <laughs> what I really like to tell clients before we kick off into a session is especially if they're kind of newer to the modality or maybe someone recommended it to them and they don't really know anything about it, which happens. I love dogs. I like to tell them that it's a very fun process to have experiential knowledge that separation and distance are mental concepts. <laughs> that doesn't mean they aren't real, but it means that they begin and end in the mind, really. And so they're as real as your mental concept holds them up to be in a way. And at the point where I hit the first tone and they feel something in their feet, <laughs> right. they, that's where it's no longer theoretical that we are all connected in this I consider it to just be the universal mind. I think that's right. the simplest I mean, way to conceive of yeah. it. You know, when you get into the way people talk about ether, I like those conversations, but I also hear so much contradictory terminology and I like precision language. <laughs> so I don't really see a medium of exchange going on that the light or the sound or the intention is traveling through. I see it more like the life force energy or animating spirit is the inseparable allness that everything is generating through or in. And so if that animating spirit is the same, I am energy in me and in them, then there's no actual boundary between the vessels in terms of that particular flow. It's like, you know, another way to look at it is with water that 
in varying degrees of density, everything is in water underwater. <laughs> you know what I mean? Which is pretty amazing. And the, like, especially when you think about alternate cosmological frameworks that, yeah, like in the biblical sense, the waters above, which makes a lot of, to me, fits more with what it looks like when you actually zoom in on stars and see them wiggling their light at you as if they're coming through uh, a pool under like a pool light, you know, in a swimming pool. Right. Right. Well, and I guess to some degree, you know, plasma has um, uh, that, that same sort of framework of behaving or can behave more like a liquid. Can we talk Uh, about plasma? And uh, as you Austin and Eileen understand it, that's a really good topic to wheel around. I think. Sure. Yeah. Um, how do you, how do you want to, yeah. Uh, maybe know. like, you know, give us your, like, let you both take turns explaining how you understand plasma <laughs> because cool. it is, wow. uh, you know, by its nature, it's literally nebulous. So, you know, I mean, that, it, it's that helpful to have these mental frameworks or scaffoldings of understanding and thought because a lot of intentional success can ride on having a sort of a, a map mentally of the process, in my opinion. I think that's helpful for whatever, whether you want to call it placebo or manifestation or whatever. Right. So I can take a stab at that question. Um, so when you say the universal mind, right, I, I tend to think of it as ether is the container uh, that, you know, God said, let there be light and that the sound, sound waves, waves traveling through, right? They need a medium to travel through. And so, so the ether is, is, is the one. And then when vibration is introduced in it from source, right, whatever is inducing vibration, that vibration creates charge separation. And, and so traveling waves moving through the ether separate into positive and negative charges through torsion, right? So the spinning there you go. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, so, so the m- movement of waves is 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 a is a spin, right? Is torsion, and so basically, ether spins itself or is spun uh, into plasma, and and it's just it's just the next sort of layer down of movement of charge. It's the sound and the mass and the light and everything traveling in 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 this sort of phase of being of positive and negative, the crest and the trough, the, you know, the movement of the spiral. So what is plasma, but, but movement of charge. And so it shows up in all kinds of ways, right? So there's like a dark current mode, which is our atmosphere or neon light that doesn't have extra charge running through it. So there, it's a plasma, even, even our air that we're breathing is plasma in dark current mode. Uh, and then there's glow mode where you get like northern lights or kind of, you know, or neon light is glow mode of plasma. And then there's, um, I can't think of what the next word is, but when you get like sparks or lightning bolts, right, then it's, it's in a current. So, so plasma, and it also will form sheaths. So the plasma bubbles, right, will form sheaths as well. And, uh, and, and that's, it's the, it's the flow. It's basically ether that's moving, <laughs> And so it, it matter precipitates, but ultimately it's all light, right? It's all this clear light that just spins itself into more and more complex arrangements. So then plasma will turn into gases and gases will densify down into liquids. And then that will turn into solids. 
but it's just denser and denser and denser spun light. Right? So it's all ether and it's all ha- it's all one thing. And it is all the cosmic, you know, the universal mind. And all of these uh, uh, fluctuations are always arising and falling in it, right? It's like soil or water or ether. It's all the same thing. And it's all giving rise to life. And then life falls back into it. And then, you know, the one turning into many and then the many turning back into the one. So, so that's the way I see it, right? So there isn't, there's absolutely no separation because it's all instant knowing, you know, you don't need to have in a distant session, nothing is traveling. It's just resonating. I mean, that's, I I got nothing to add to that. That is exactly what I would have said. So, (laughs) um, yeah. Walter Russell, baby. <laughs> Walter Russell is definitely very useful to, to read. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, we're at the end of the day, we're all really working with the, the same stuff. We, and, you know, and I've given this analogy before, too, that like, you know, uh, in, our, in our conferences, we, of course, have all different walks of life, different uh, medical backgrounds, uh, you know, moms, uh whoever veterinarians everybody that is interested in something that is not mainstream so we get a lot of people that have all these other different approaches to health whether it be you know ozone or dmso or you know all these different things we're really at the end of the day trying to use tools to to make our life experience here in this realm better you know and and to me that's really the most important thing um, we, it, it's already tough enough as it is. <laughs> so, so it's like yeah. Yeah, anything that we can do to bolster that, uh, that quality, in my opinion, is the best way to roll. So, but yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, at the end of the day, like you said, Eileen, we're, everything is light really. I mean, condensed yeah. or otherwise. Yeah. What do you think, Chance? Creative <laughs> I like all that. I want to know if uh, Gabriel's got any questions for the panel or observations to throw their way. I'm sure he does. The dude usually does. For sure. Yeah. Uh, Well, I want to ask, um, uh, I'm not very well versed in the, these frequencies and these, you know, musical terminology. Uh, I'm I'm more of a percussionist myself. Um, But what, um, what do you, what experience have you guys had or in your research or reading around um what they call the devil's tone or that that f sharp the the tone of dissonance is that is that come up anywhere have you guys read about that at all what can you speak on on that um i would say that it has come up i have read about it i have heard about it but i haven't spoken of it so i can't speak to it intelligently like if i'm going to speak to something i have to read it in depth i have to write about it i have to like really spend time with it in order to respond if i've just come across something and read it a while ago and just you know i, I, I there isn't sufficient information in me to respond maybe austin can <laughs> Um, I'm going to sound like the dumb musician because I actually (laughs) have played in band uh, years ago, played in bands. Um, but, and I have heard of the devil's town, uh, F sharp is actually one of my favorite kind of, you know, for the rock crowd, but, um, I don't know in terms of like what effect it may have. I'm kind of in the camp with Eileen on that. I I don't know that I'm well versed enough to really 
throw my two cents in terms of, you know, what I think is happening there or whatever. But um, I do find like the topic's interesting to me. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And it has, it, like it has other names. Like you mentioned, you prefer to call it F sharp. Right. And it has other yeah. names also. What are, do you know what those other names are? I like, do not. Don't yeah. even get me lying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have no idea. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I'm just kind of, I'm just brushing up against it recently in my work. You know, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm digging into the, the Enneagram and mm-hmm. uh, finding it to be uh, present in many things. Um, and apparently there are ways to also the devil's interval. Yes, yes. Um, and there uh, I'm finding that it, the symmetry of it expresses in the Enneagram in a very fascinating way. And I'm just, uh, I'm just finding this Enneagram kind of popping up everywhere the longer I look at it. And now all of a sudden this solfeggio is coming up in the conversation. You know, harmony is really important right now, you know, uh, finding harmony with the self. And I'm just, uh, I'm always on the lookout, you know. Um, uh, I have a, I guess I'll, I'll tell a quick story. Uh, I experienced uh, some malefica. Uh, firsthand one time, some, some, uh, some dark influence uh, in a, in a really interesting way. I'm a, I'm a practicing martial artist lifelong all my life. Uh, And it was about 10 years back. I was in a, uh, so my, my art right now is capoeira. It's Afro-Brazilian dance fighting. And I was invited into a uh, tribe that is a very prolific, large tribe in Denver. And they're the barefoot, high-flying acrobatic tribe. And they're very like mochismo. Uh, and the, the leader of their clan is like, he's got a reputation. And uh, he, uh, he kind of challenged me right before the, the dance got started because I was wearing shoes in his circle. And he didn't like that I had shoes on. And he called me out in front of everybody. It was like the record scratched. And he's like, yo, man, what are you doing here? I was like, uh, my buddy invited me. <laughs> it was really awkward. And I had, to, I had to convince him that my shoes were sacred, that I wasn't wearing just street shoes, that these are my sacred shoes and that they're, that they're, they're special. <laughs> and, uh, He's like, yeah, all right, all right. And then he waits like an hour and a half till I wear myself out and I'm all nice and winded. And he stops the music and he calls me in for a one-on-one session. And so I'm dance fighting with the master and he is testing me out. And he, uh, long story short, he put a hex on my knees and I didn't know it when it happened. He did this crazy ninjutsu move on one knee and then he put the ninjutsu move on the other knee and I didn't know what he had done and it was about 10 minutes later when we wrap it up and I'm walking out of the circle my knees are not going into place and I can't really walk right for some reason but he didn't hit me but he put the malefica on me and now today, as we're talking about tones and, and vibrations and frequency in the ether and the, the plasma, I'm wondering, it, it just dawned on me as we're talking, 
I think he adjusted his birimbap. I think he changed his musical instrument before he brought me into the circle. And then he might have changed the vibration of the whole entire ritual. Mm. And then after he and I got Especially done. Especially if he's the head of the group. And I say that because there's ancient civilizations, Chinese dynasties did this, the Egyptians did this, where when a new ruling family took over, they'd actually, you know, they'd find the length from of the forearm of the new ruler, and that would be the new royal foot, so to speak. And then they would adjust like the tonal center that all the music official music was played in to be a flute of that length and a lot of various units of measurement that would be based on the yeah. uh <laughs> the ratios in the human body they based it on the ratios in that guy's body who was the ruler so right and this is really interesting i want you to finish what you're saying but eileen i'd love your response on this because i actually ran into a client session a couple weeks ago where the guy what he wanted help with was he thought he had had black magic done on him and you know, that really shows up in the left shoulder, <laughs> left armpit. But uh, Gabriel, finish out this story. And then I would like to know what Eileen thinks about this. Well, I think well, it has a, large, a lot to do with the theatrics <laughs> that generate yeah. the belief. Well, that's that's kind of the thing that gets me, though, is that so after that, he goes back, he takes his instrument back, might have put, you know, retuned it back to not kill mode. <laughs> but But what gets me is that it it was late onset that it that it occurred to me there are that the effects sank in and then it was even another hour later that i could recall the actual move that he did in in the heat of the moment in the game to each of my knees the and body would, takes uh, some time to adjust itself based on changes in the energy field so if there was some Yes. Crystallized belief that even was subconsciously implanted by all the weird little ninjutsu moves he did that, you know, you might feel it a little later, just like someone who gets to tuning might not feel come all the changes for up to 48 or 72 hours. Right. Yeah. Well, just quickly to interject, this is the same type of phenomenon we see with biomagnetism where, you know, let's say you have that, you know, inflammation or, urinary tract infection and I place those pairs, uh, you may not see that it feels normal, you know, until the next day, right? There's, there's some sort of lead time that, that it, the body takes to recorrect. So. Or discorrect. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like... Right. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It makes me think of the, uh, uh, you mentioned this uh, last time, Austin, on uh, the last vibrating you were on, when the Oracle says, Oh, don't worry about that vase. And he says, what vase? Mm -hmm. And then he right. knocks it down. And she says, the real thing that's going to bake your noodle is would you have knocked it over if I hadn't said anything? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's being, that that's really uh, such a, a wonderful short little metaphor for so many things like that. And especially like, you know, in, in any overlap that we have in both respective fields, biomagnetism and also biofield tuning, this, this idea of philosophy obviously has to enter, you know, when we're talking about some of these concepts, because I mean, we can't, you know, 
it, there's not a lot of that concrete aspect where I can't measure exactly how, you know, happy Eileen is. That's a personal perspective. You know, I can't measure exactly how hungry I am. I can maybe describe a little bit of it, but yeah, there, there's so much of that philosophical idea, uh, which I think, for me is part of the gravitation. It's part of the pull because it's fun to chew on, you know, it's fun to think yeah. about those ideas, but um, yeah, I think in, in your case, it's very interesting, right? Is it because he changed the tone, you know, or is it because maybe you weren't aware of it? Like there's, there's a lot happening there that I find very interesting. <laughs> that's yeah. Well, how did you fix it? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's the real question. I walked funny for four months. I had, I had, uh, I was just determined to get myself so straightened out. And I just, uh, kind of like I always do. I just power through it. I keep going to class. I keep training, even though I'm injured, I just, uh, stay the course, but this is an inter- So yeah, it took about four months and I literally was walking weird for four months. It was the strangest, uh, it caused, um, infrapatellar bursitis is how I would describe it. It's like my you know, the bursa under my kneecap was swollen for a very long time. But um, there's another little side effect that is just weird. So his uh, his clan, they train in a very high profile uh, location on in the art district in Denver, where they are. Um, they have a glass front of the building and crowds gather uh when they have class and there is just a huge posse of people watching this beautiful performing art and um you know it's like uh just a natural recruiting process people are really intrigued by what they see well i uh i would walk by his dojo while they're performing and he would lock eyes with me from outside of the building and it happened for like three months in a row where he would just beeline look right at me every time and so i got i had this joke with my friends i was like you guys see this right you guys are seeing this i said okay this this month we're gonna walk by but we're gonna walk by from across the street we're not gonna be on the sidewalk at the front of the front of the building where he can see me easy we're gonna intentionally be across the street and i wanted all my friends i was like everybody watch when i when we come into view his head's gonna swivel on and from across the street he locks eyes with me. It was awesome. It was awesome. Uh, so yeah, we're uh, we're quantumly entangled. I like it to sounds say. To, honestly, in, from my experience, that sounds like uh, attributes of a practicing on purpose psychic vampire or energy vampire. Oh yeah, yeah. Being trained in some highly uh, accomplished. You know the way we can train ourselves in in positive, harmonizing, uplifting forms of energy work there is the opposite and you know i had a revelation about this like why is that even possible why is psychic vampirism or energy vampirism a thing and then I, I realized that it's because when human beings are babies and really up to like the age of six or seven our energy fields have to be open and almost in a way in a vampiric way sort of feeding on the energy field of the parents because it's we're not fully cooked yet, <laughs> you know? And so in that case, it's not vampirism. It is willing exchange and, you know, the parents giving energy and helping build up the baby till it kind of creates its own field and boundaries more uh, independently. But most people's expression of energy vampirism or psychic vampirism is relatively unintentional 
and more of a survival mechanism, unconscious mechanism in they feel like they're low on energy and it gives them a good feeling to slam dunk on somebody or, you know, whatever it is that they juice through. <laughs> but yeah, I think that there are practitioners of more, um, in, you know, art, an art to this type of thing that is maybe what you're describing. But I'm very curious about Eileen's experience with psychic vampirism or hexes or what people would call black magic. And, you know, I know a lot of it is about the belief and the theatrics and how you give your consent by being freaked out by all the weird things that they just did or that they left the dead chicken under your, you know, car seat or whatever. (laughs) That's the biggest factor is that you let them in. You got to let them in. But, you know, there's, there's, this is a very interesting subject. What do you got on that? Well, I mean, there are definitely things that I've come across in people's fields, like family curses and hexes and, uh, you know, somebody's got a stink eye on them in some way or another, you know, because we're all connected and any energy that's sort of directed at you um, does impact you. Uh, when I, when my mind started to become very quiet from just spending hours and hours just listening to forks. I got really trained into an alpha brainwave state and I could sit in, in meditation without a single thought for, you know, minutes and minutes. <clears throat> but in that silence, I started to become aware of other people thinking of me and I could tell, I could tell when I was sort of getting these things that felt sort of like psychic intrusions. I was like, Oh, that person's thinking of me or, you know, and then I was like, well, how can I have a quiet mind, but not, suffer intrusions. And so I started playing around with my imagination and intention to come up with something that would actually create a barrier. Right. And, uh, and I played around with all of the different platonic solids and none of those worked. And what finally ended up working was if you're, I don't know if you think about a fountain with milk in it, but basically what I did was I put milk in the double layer membrane of my field and uh and that and and i kind of programmed it i'm like okay my husband and my kids they can come in through the milk (laughs) but everybody else needs to stay out and i don't know what and then somebody told me about something in india with this same kind of idea that there's some other uh similar thing that that for protection um Mm -hmm. i don't know do you guys know what it is No, I I don't, but uh, we do a similar practice, or at least I I do whenever, uh, especially for remote. um, Before I do a session, I do a a mental like energy protection. Mine looks a little more bizarre in my mind and hard to describe, but it's kind of the same idea. I have these like silvery pillars that I kind of set around myself with this like shimmery bubble. And I look more like a person that's plugged into the matrix, but outside of this ambiguous sort of silver surfer being that I, you know, envision are these like sort of um kind of like the matrix. You've got all these different like wires or fiber optics, like Eileen, you were talking about earlier fiber optics that, and, and it's sort of like a white shimmery thing. And it's just connected to this like empty space. And whenever I send energy, I'm, I'm essentially telling the, that outerness, <laughs> I don't have a word for it, um, that I need to draw that in so that it doesn't take away from me and that I need to send it out. And I usually see it coming out of sort of my, my stomach belly area and going out to whoever I'm you know working on. Um, but that I said in my mind that nothing else will enter the field unless I allow it because I'm sovereign. 
Um, yeah. And I have found that when you do that, that um, my energy level throughout the day is is maintainable. I wasn't doing that before, and you do, you will feel very tired. So, but that's yeah. really interesting. The milk, please continue. I didn't mean to cut you off, but that was, I, what you know, I that was like that was part around the room with the Palo Santo or sage, but with the door open so that the smoke has like a place to flow out. I make a full circle around the room while setting up my intentions in that circle, mm-hmm. and stayed out loud to like spirit team. <laughs> that's what yeah. I'm calling. I don't know <laughs> who may hang around in terms of spiritual guides or ancestors yep. or passed on loved ones. But I just ask if, if there's any spirit team around and then the other person's spirit team, I just ask for a circle of protection around us. And um, I, I agree that the geometry and the visualization is very powerful, especially mm-hmm. if there's a specific instance that you're dealing with, like you do feel violated, but uh, you know, it can almost be as simple as just like asking for the thing, <laughs> you know, it, yeah. they'll do it for you. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's so well, true. I, yep. I also found when I started doing group sessions that I felt like I needed to have some kind of protection for the whole group. And I played around with that and then the milk didn't work for the group. Um, <laughs> but Rose did. And so what I, I created like this whole sort of wall of, of roses and, you know, and okay. thorns too, um, as, as a kind of energetic protection for the group and then put program in like nobody gets any backwash from anybody else and it's all protected from any other kind of energies coming in. And so once you create something like that in the ether in your mind, you know, then basically all you need to do is just feed it with, with a thought for like a moment, you know? Yep. Um, but I recently had an experience of receiving psychic intrusion that made it through the shield. And, mm-hmm. uh, and that was kind of on the dark side, like what you're talking about. And, and I was with two other people. We all came under psychic attack at the same time. We all felt the intrusion. And, uh, and we all had to leave what we, where we were at and go actually do uh, protection together. And that was really wild. I was like, I feel like I'm in a movie. Like, what's going on here? I didn't really believe in this stuff. And how is this happening? <laughs> when I need the help, when I really feel like I need extra help, I just go find a tree. There and you just go. Like, touch the tree, hug the tree. I'm just like, help me out, tree. And it, it all gets sorted out that way. Or, you know, meditate. Tell, on well, tree. Yeah, I mean, the tree, they're intelligent and they're connected to. They're yeah. so helpful. You know, so, yep. Yeah, I first decided that psychic vampirism or energy vampirism was a real thing when I met a self-professed practitioner of it at a party and across the whole room of the party, he was across the room. I had my back to him and I felt a sharp jab, like a dart hitting me in the back of the head. Like it really hurt, but nothing hit me. And I turned around and the guy was just giving me a creepy smile and staring right at me. And when we made eye contact, he's like, he's like, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. No, <laughs> no, that's uh, not a good, yeah. no, so, you know, that was when I started taking it seriously to uh, have the intention to be protected, to, you know, not let people in. Um, and then in terms of ways to think about the unconscious energy vampirism or going through someone else's psychic boundary, everyone out there listening, just ask your mind again, like pattern recognition. That's what mind is good for. It loves to play games. Give it a game. Ask it to look for the pattern of, am I having a mental argument with somebody that's not here? 
<laughs> you ever get into that moment of thought where you're just like, and then they would say this and I would be like, bam, and I totally got them. And then they would try to come back with this, but then I would have this and you're just having this mental argument and they're not even there. That is yeah. you. In, in my opinion, that's you intruding on their psychic bubble. So watch out for that. Um, you know, it's not, it's no, it's just as wasteful of your energy as the to-do list torture we talked about, but then now you're dragging somebody else into it. Mm-hmm. It's really true. I have to be really careful about, you know, not thinking about anybody in too concentrated a way, unless I want to be pinging them, you know, I'm like, oh, like, so I'll cross around, I'm like, oh, no, they're busy. Like, I'm not going to be like, that's absolutely yeah. true. Well, and, and we see, we see some of this too with, uh, with biomagnetism, uh, you know, there's, there's sort of like, you know, the more concrete, uh, you know, theory and practice. And then we get more into, uh, the philosophical aspects and biomagnetism, uh, where we are looking at hexes and things like that. And you, you know, through muscle testing, you, I mean, you're just accessing the energy, um, you know, and so we've had people in sessions where it was like, you know, say the emotion of, uh, you know, lack of love came up, you address that with the client and they go, well, I've never really felt that way. And then you ask, you know, and you're looking at the feet here and, you know, you'll say, is, is the client experiencing this lack of love and you get a neutral or a no? And then you go, is this coming from uh, a family? Yes. Right. And the leg will shift and then you go, oh, okay. Is it coming from the brother, the mother, the, the father? Okay. So the father's feeling lack of love from your end or, you know, you start to kind of piece this puzzle together. Um, but the same thing with like hex is like, oh, I figured out that your aunt didn't want you to do very well in school. <laughs> like why I would, you know, you need to either address that with her or you need to set up energy for yourself so that it's not just like off at you. Um, so I find that to be really interesting too. And then figuring out ways that we can find solutions for a client that are meaningful and that, that work for them moving forward. Um, so that they're not always dealing with the, you know, the crazy aunt or whoever's, you know, trying to project these, these energies that aren't helpful onto that person. So I know Eileen has a, a hard out soon, <laughs> which is, Totally fine. I mean, we've had a great two hours, but I wanted to get maybe like one more topic into the list that was something on my mind. And that is the way that getting ourselves in tune or magnetically balanced or however we want to conceptualize it, whatever intellectual scaffolding we're climbing on for this process of accessing the ordering principle of life force energy, right? And allowing it to just do what it does. In a way, it's almost like you're just letting it happen. But, you know, when we do that, this it's the same ordering principle that brings order or chaos to our life, depending on our inner state. So this, uh, this is a little message I got from a client who had just plucked up the courage, you know, respectively to quit a job that they didn't feel good at. But in that interim, had serious self-esteem issues come up when they were unemployed, feeling not optimistic, feeling like, you know, challenge and um, challenge moving forward. They came and got a tuning, well, remotely got a tuning. And he says, I'm feeling so different since our session on Saturday. I feel lighter. I feel like my chest is lighter. I'm breathing easier. And most importantly, I'm feeling optimistic and more energetic. And then a job I really wanted contacted me back. So it looks like I won't have to take another job that I don't really want. So, you know, this is, I bring up this 
message because I love to hear this, how getting ourselves in tune or harmonious in our energy field actually changes what experiences life serves up to us. And I wanted to see if Eileen could speak to that and maybe any, uh, you know, examples of how that may play out or you've seen that play out. Well, you know, there's a meme going around that says your vibe attracts your experience. Okay. I would make that even more simple. Like your vibe is your experience. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like whatever I mean, your vibe, <laughs> that's your experience. And you know, wherever you go, there you are. And we exist in the space between each other. So if I'm feeling bent, I'm going to have a bent experience with you, especially if you're a little bent and we're going to get really bent together. right? So, <laughs> and then you have bent, plural. I played Scrabble today and bent, B-E-N-T-S, plural is actually allowed. Yeah, is it really? I've been playing a bunch of Scrabble lately and I'm questioning some of those words <laughs> on the internet that are Scrabble words. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so you know, if if you've really worked to make yourself neutral and present and curious and compassionate and, you know, in integrity, then wherever you go, that that's those are going to be your interactions. People are going to see that. They're going to feel that. They're going to respect that. You're going to create relationships and experiences and integrity. And if something is out of integrity because a strong coherent signal overtakes a weak incoherent signal, you're just going to kind of roll coherency with you wherever you go because your field is so strong. It just inspires that in the people around you. That's your experience, right? Like when I drive, I I create, I do this thing. I learned I could do it in California. Um, You can't really do it in Vermont because there's two lanes, but in California, there's four or five lanes. I figured out how to create bubbles around me where there'd be like mad traffic in front of me, mad traffic behind me. And I just be in this bubble in the middle with like nobody near me. Cause I would just extend my field out and kind of create, you know, stuff would break through here and there, but I could get really good, like long distances traveling in this bubble. And, and even when I'm just driving around town, like I never have any kind of like eh, stuff because I'm so, I've radiated such a coherent bubble that that is my experience. Right. So wherever you got going on, that's what life is going to be for you. And the more the more clear and light and coherent and grounded you become, that just becomes your experience. And then you inform other people to be that way. Yeah. Austin, you want to weigh in on that? Um, I, I would also agree. And I think to working, especially with clients who have I mean, what what I would classify most of the time as either chronic, uh, you know, diseased states, right? Uh, things lo- that look like Lyme disease or fibromyalgia that, that just tend to linger for years and years and years. Um, in fact, we were, I was just having a discussion today um, about this idea of, you know, the, to touch on that, uh, you know, your experience is your, your vibe and all that. But when you have certain people who start to identify with their disease and then they have developed a psychological aspect to this whole disorder where now they get attention. So it's positive reinforcement uh, with a, a negative state. And, you know, uh, Dr. Bob Beck talked about how that was, you know, essentially secondary gain syndrome as we would know it today. Uh, it goes by many different names, but yeah, they, they end up having this identity 
that is their experience. And they, uh, in a lot of cases, they don't want to change it. Uh, you know, and, and when Bob Beck was working with, you know, and this was back in the eighties when he was working with, you know, supposed AIDS patients and cancer, um, that, you know, he would get these outcomes where they would get better. And then certain people just couldn't mentally handle it. They had already been given the death sentence, you know, they were supposed to die and they were getting ready for that. And they're getting all this attention and meals getting brought to the house. And then when they get better, all of a sudden now I have to be <laughs> a productive adult again, and I can't take it. And so, you know, there were those unfortunate cases where some of those people committed suicide. Um, but it's like they wanted it in a way. They wanted to identify and have that as their experience. Uh, you know, and I'm not here to judge that. I mean, that's unfortunate that it went that way. But yeah, if if you're actively seeking to better your your uh experience even if it can be a struggle, right? So like Gabriel with the, you know, four months of walking around, but you're still persistent, you know, and like um, chances are your outcome is going to change because you are shifting the way in your perspective to, to see it in a different way. The body's going to in turn, even if it's subtle and even if it takes, you know, two or three years or however long it takes uh, that, that perspective is going to physically manifest into a reality that looks more in line with what you're trying to reflect. You know, and, and so, and, and then of course that negative experience becomes part of an empowering positive experience moving forward where you can reflect on it and say, oh yeah, I went through this time, but you know, I learned from it and all of course, things are good. Exactly. And as we see in nature, everything well, has to go just for through a second? I want to respect Eileen's yeah. time. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> we're getting, we're pretty Wait, I gotta go get my husband at the airport. I haven't seen him in a month. So I need to get going, but you guys yep. carry on. I'll check out the end of the recording. It was great to meet you both. And Chance, thanks for having me. I always love hanging out, talking about this sort of thing and uh, bye to everyone who's been watching. All right. Thanks okay. for hanging out. Eileen. Uh, and you know, there's a lot of other things to access there. So go explore, pick up a sonic slider, uh, read her books, you know, learning the biofield anatomy can be the thing that helps you communicate with your body at the level that maybe prevents any serious need, any need for serious injuries or disease going forward because you address things as they come up incrementally. That's right. Excellent chance. Thank you very much. Okay. Bye everybody. All right, now it's just the boys. Ah, <laughs> uh, she's the best though. Only person in the true. world who I would actually like, you know, not jokingly call my guru. <laughs> <laughs> well, I probably won't stick around too much longer. I've got to be back in class at seven forty-five tomorrow, sharp to try. Yeah, man, you jump out whenever. You know, why don't you? Up. If you got closing thoughts, go for it. And you know, I wanted to. I'm going to hang back after you take off with Gabriel and let him empty some of his thoughts out because he gets a lot in there and hang out with the chatters and, you know, extend to the fun of this being my birthday a little longer. Yeah, I know. And by happy birthday, by the way, you know, that's, uh, that's, that's really cool. And I'm glad that I got to be a part of it and that we got to do this. And, uh, you know, Gabriel, I could probably listen to a lot more of the, uh, the spell casting stuff. I find it absolutely fascinating how language and, <laughs> The way that we put meaning on things and these, like you were talking about earlier, kind of creep in, uh, you know. If you want to join the shared learning experience, it's Slick Dissident on YouTube. Uh, okay, cool. You will find your mind <laughs> twisting in ways that 
uh, you know, dip your toes into the waters that the mystic swims in and the schizophrenic drowns in. <laughs> you want to really yeah, more than dipping your toes in, you're getting baptized. <laughs> okay, well, right, fair enough. You know what? I'll, t- I'll take a deep dive. That's, <laughs> that's fine with me. I'll be sure to follow you. Nice, um, no, I just, I just, I really appreciate, uh, you know, you have me on, of course, Chance. And, uh, you know, I would just encourage people that if, you know, anybody that is listening that is curious and, you know, is dealing with a health issue, um, you might consider biomagnetism as being uh, one of those tools to help, you know, recorrect or address. Because in a lot of cases, you know, where where I've really had experience to see that, you know, there are people who deal with very serious health issues that, um, that you really do need to have kind of a one-two punch in a way. You sort of have to approach it where you want to support the body. But you also are, you know, I, I've said this ad nauseum uh, at any of our sem- seminars that we're teaching. Um, it's less about being a healer and it's more about being a good detective. You know, I'm really trying to look for why is this that happening? Is so true. You know, and, and that really at the base of it is what I'm there for. Uh, you know, otherwise, why am I even asking the body questions if not to find an answer? Right. And so you're trying to Bruce Wayne the shit out of it, so to speak. <laughs> right. Be the world's greatest detective. And, uh, and it's I think because it, you're really you're wanting to get in the zone where the intuitive answer just pops in without prompting, without over constructing an assumed, uh, you know, description of what it is. Right. Because you know, it's like. Halfway through the session, you start to get some clues. They tell you some things about their life, you know, as you discover uh, things going on in their field. And at that point, you're like, well, now I have pieces of data for A, B and C. And you start cobbling those together and they become assumptions rather than intuitions. And there's kind of like a an interesting line that you surf there, not oh, for putting sure. too much of your own bias into it and just letting what it is pop in. Right. Pop in. Exactly. And I think too, you know, for us, even though, like I said, there is some of that gray area about like what a pathogen is, why do we see infection? What, what does all that really mean? What I can tell you from my experience is that, you know, there, there are people who are sick with real things, right? And to me, it doesn't matter if a virus exists or not. Uh, whether or not transmission of a bacteria is actually occurring. And like, while that stuff interests me on the side, my main focus here is that I really want to be able to see that the body has a way to turn around so that I can go, yes, these, these pairs that I was placing, if I have, you know, a hundred people who show up with, you know, a strep throat test, right? I use the strep throat example, but let's say they all show up with strep or they have a staph infection on their leg. Right. And and we can kind of culture it and look at it. Um, and I have pairs that relate to that. And then I place those pairs for the proper amount of time. And then we see that the rash dissipates. That's really all for me that, that matters, right. Is that we take a chronically diseased state and we allow the body to shift back to normal. Um, and that really is much more difficult when we're looking at things like cancer, um, you know, and also things like Lyme, which, you know, in traditional Western medicine is classified as just one, you know, quote unquote pathogen or infection. And for us, it, it tends to be a, a bigger deep dive and emotions are heavily involved in, in things like Lyme and cancer as well. Um, 
So yeah, all that to say, if uh, any of you out there are struggling with health issues, I think it would be worth considering. And of course, I'm a little biased because I do practice, but I have a passion for helping people. So that's kind of my life's call now. And, uh, you know, we talked about in last podcast um, about my late wife had cervical cancer, you know, and I have had to walk that road and it, it is a horrible thing to have to, to walk. Uh, you know, I would never wish that on anybody. And so I think, um, you know, there's value to be gained from the lessons that I learned um, that helps me to be a better therapist moving forward uh, so that somebody else doesn't have to experience what I did. But uh, here we are with the, the broken vase, right? Would I be able to be as effective if I hadn't had that experience? So in a way, I'm trying to transform and, of course, awful situation into something that can be positive so that it, other people don't have to see that side of, of experience. Yeah. Anyway, so thank you both for for having me on. It's it, it was fun. Yeah. Hey, buddy, it's great to have you on. And, you know, if you're ever hanging out on a Wednesday night and you enjoy the topic, just shoot me a message. Maybe we can get you, a, you know, a surprise call. And we do a lot of those. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, would, I would love I it. Send you a link if you want to jump on. <laughs> Gordy, calling Gordy, paging Gordy. So, Austin, you're going to take off, man? Uh, I am. I thought somebody was asking a question or they tried oh, to. Yeah, PK to wanted to know about magnets, about okay. the North and South Poles. He says, when you say South Pole, do you mean it's attracted to magnetic North? And maybe PK now will clarify <laughs> that question a little more if that helps. Um, yeah, so this is a, a question that we, we go over quite extensively in the courses and people, there's a lot of confusion about, um, you know, especially in magnet therapy, there's a lot of confusion just due to the fact that there's really no regulation. So a lot of terms can be used really in any sort of gray territory format that most uh, manufacturers or people trying to sell a therapy want to use them. Um, the way that we are using our magnets and I'll bring one back out for, for demo. Um, so when we're referring to North Pole, and we, we use the red side to indicate north, um, you'll see online some people use uh, black for the north, but that's not how we do it in biomagnetism. Uh, we're When we're discussing north or north facing, if we really dissect the way that magnetic fields behave, you know, opposites attract. So when we refer to the North Pole, the North Pole is actually a magnetically South Pole. Uh, and then the South Pole is actually a mag magnetically attracting North Pole. Um, so there's a lot of ambiguity in these terms because now we have something that's labeled North, but in magnet terms, it's actually a South, right? So it's a little bit confusing. Um, and then you further convolute the conversation by throwing in other terms like positive and negative, uh, which really can only describe flow of electrons, which static magnets have no electricity running through them per se. Hello, Gordy. <laughs> hey, hey. So, good to meet you. So, <laughs> you too. Um, and so, you know, you'll hear a lot of terms like, uh, you know, North Pole negative or South Pole positive. But again, if you don't have current running through something, then that term doesn't actually apply. So these terms have sort of been hijacked in order to help sort of describe a thing when really what we should be paying more attention to is how the body behaves in the presence of a North 
magnetic field and a south magnetic field, which is really a descriptive term to describe a clockwise flow of a field gradient and a counterclockwise flow. So North Pole. Cody just described that centripetal and centrifugal. Right. Right. Cody knows some shit. He should be up here. Right. And so, uh, you know, these these ideas of uh, positive and negative are really just a uh, descriptive way, but they, they can be very confusing for people, especially if you're, you know, not nerdy like me and you're trying to, you know, teach people about field gradients and whatever else, um, you know, and then of course it, it's also confusing because there are, you know, forums online and things that you can find where they're describing the South pole of a magnet as positive and that that will actually encourage growth or inflammation and that you only want to use the negative side of a magnet. In my experience, that's all nonsense. Um, and sometimes the body will ask for, a placement that you didn't fully expect. So a lot of times we're actually using uh, the North side or the red side uh, for things like trauma. So like if you, you know, hit your hand with a hammer, I'm actually going to be using the red side where traditional magnet therapy would say, no, 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 you need to use the South side to to draw away the inflammation. We're actually trying to uh, encourage the inflammation because that's the body's normal process. It's bringing blood flow to that area to help heal it. So we're going to facilitate that. And then typically for us in biomagnetism, what we're doing, I want to incorporate the bladder then to help drain the inflammation once that process has accelerated. So we sort of do this dance where I'm going to apply and encourage the body's inflammatory process in the area of trauma. And then I'm going to use the black magnet to drain it to the bladder so that we can pee out the inflammation, so to speak. Wow. That is cool. Interesting that it like a lot of this is coming back to movement too. I've noticed Mm -hmm. the the vibe and movement, you know, all is, all is vibration idea, you know, and I get talking to stuck energy for someone that's like their main, most challenging thing. And they identify it and move it through shifting their belief or whatever is necessary. Often they have to, all of a sudden they have to pee. Yeah. Time. And generally every session, you know, before we have somebody typically they're going to be on the table for two hours, uh, you know, I'll make sure that they hydrate before, but they need to pee before the session. And then they typically always really have to pee after the session. Um, and, and largely that's due to, you know, if we talk about the science behind biomagnetism and we're actually looking at, um, what's physically occurring, uh, you know, we've, there are some videos you can find on YouTube um, of Dr. Goy's doing a dark field microscopy where he's showing, you know, they did a, a blood sample of a lady who was in poor health before biomagnetism. And then you get to see what the red blood cells are doing after biomagnetism, which is kind of how we get this idea that hydrogen is what's, you know, driving this process. Interesting. Um, and so what happens is like, you know, a lot of times when you have a, a body in a disease state, you're going to see the red blood cells are going to stack and uh, like the Rouleau effect is what that's called, um, where they're not flowing properly. And since red blood cells are responsible for delivering nutrients and oxygen and so forth to the body, um, once you introduce and rebalance uh, with the magnetic fields, uh, it causes those red blood cells to unclump. So they flow better. And then the body's able to absorb the 
normal amount of oxygen or in, you know, a disease state, more oxygen than normal, which causes an optimization of the entire system. And then, of course, the lymphatic system kicks in, starts to move some of this dead cellular debris out that goes to through the kidneys and then through the bladder. So it makes sense that you have to pee after a session. Um, so it's very fascinating, you know, from a biological perspective, I find it, you know, I mean, it's for me, it's the end all, <laughs> you know, I, I love it. I, you know, I could talk about it all day. Um, what what does it mean that uh, Jim has a magnetic forehead, <laughs> paper clips, bottle caps? Stick he said my third eye is magnetic. A paper clip or bottle cap sticks to my forehead magnetically. Now this guy, um, can, this guy, okay. is like wicked psychic. You can do the whole ESP test. We're like, which card yeah. am I holding? And he he's yeah. on it. He has brain psychic brain horns. They're so. Powerful. So James, I, I, I'm going to, this is going to be more of an assumption answer, but, um, a lot of times when I have been doing sessions for clients, uh, the pineal gland seems to sometimes want to carry its own charge. Uh, so there'll be cases where maybe I have a pair for, you know, pineal to thymus or to the spleen or whatever, uh, where I will, uh, the body will want, you know, say the black side of the magnet here. Um, well, and for us in biomagnetism, the pineal points actually here and the magnetic energy flows down. Interesting. Um, yeah, where you would assume it would be here and directed yeah. that way. But the pituitary is actually here for us, uh-huh. you know, so which is interesting. Uh, just the, the body has different ways of wanting to direct the energy. Um, but anyway, to, to answer that question, I think that there's um, something to do with the pineal gland uh, and its ability to either. Uh, carry a magnetic field or charge in a way that maybe we don't understand. So I don't know if that's really helpful, but <laughs> I have seen that with clients before, um, you know, and again, for us verifying the, uh, the leg length is really what's telling us whether or not the polarity or the, the circuit has been completed, so to speak. So like if I were to place a black, uh, black magnet on the pineal gland and then say, you know, the thyroid red on the thyroid, and if the leg is still out of balance, there's still that discrepancy. And then I go, oh, well, maybe the pineal gland actually wants red. Maybe the charge is different. And then so I flip flop them and then the leg goes even. Uh, that tells me that, that for that individual, the magnetic field, for whatever reason, is different. Hmm. So very interesting. It is. If I had time, we could we could post uh, urine work and blood work that I've kind of collected over time. And those are always very interesting because you get to kind of see before and afters, which are are fun. You know, so are you are you doing a concerted effort specifically on the pineal gland with those magnets to clear it up, clear up the pineal specifically in those those two? Um, not, not specific, not specifically, uh, you know, so traditionally for us, uh, the, the way that, you know, for those of you that are curious and I'll probably have to jump off here in just about 10 minutes, but, um, essentially what we're doing is like, let's say that you came to me with, uh, you know, IBS or, uh, acid reflux, or you've got fibromyalgia or you can name, name any disease. Right. And essentially what we're doing is through uh, the use of muscle testing, I start to ask the body questions about um, what pathogens may be contributing to this disease state or what pathogens have shown up, right? Um, whether the body created them or not is really a moot point for us. It's just I'm trying to get this information. So once I have it, 
I can know how to rebalance the body. And so um, it isn't necessarily specific to the pineal gland unless you've been having trouble sleeping. And then we may want to look at like the, you know, the melatonin production and why it's not functioning correctly in the endocrine system. Um, and so we would basically start asking questions through a preset built list of different pathogens that are in relation to different organ systems of the body. And through that, we're looking to see if the leg shifts is if it tells you a yes in a specific area. Right. So like if I, if I'm asking like, is there anything, you know, at, um, at the pole or the frontal sinus, you know, is there an imbalance there? And, and if I see nothing, then I'm going to continue moving on. Is there anything in the eyebrow, anything in the cerebellum, the hypothalamus, the amygdala, anything in the cervical the vertebrae, so on and so forth. And, you know, as you're moving through this list, is there anything, you know, in the clavicles or the thyroid you're, you're trying to hone in. And for us that, uh, that piece of the puzzle is, is sort of using the observer effect where, you know, I don't know how many people are familiar with the double slit experiment and maybe it wasn't done fully correctly, but it can give us a, a little idea that observation has everything to do with what shows up. So if I gloss over an area of the body and I'm not asking a question, I may miss something that's there. So we, we kind of try to work from head down to the toe and then arms, legs, and then the posterior thorax to try and understand what imbalances are happening here. Um, and, and those imbalances are in relation to actual diseases, you know? So our goal is not just to say like, Oh yes, well, I, I hope that you ambiguously feel better, but I want to say like, okay, well, you came to me with this verified, you know, <laughs> wart on your finger. And I have pairs that relate to what we would refer to as an associated disease that will cause this wart. So now I'm going to place these pairs and allow your body to start its repair mechanism. And then maybe we do two, maybe three sessions. And then now it's clear. Now you don't have the issue. Uh, same thing with like, uh, you know, staph infection or herpes or things like that. Um, again, I don't care whether the virus is real. Uh, you know, I've, I've had problems with the virus model myself. I'm not really entirely sure that what we describe as a virus is a true thing. But we can see that things like, you know, general herpes are a manifestation of something happening. Um, so really, this goes back to the idea with the, the whole cactus and please put away your spines. It's like, well, it doesn't really at the end of the day matter if the virus is a real thing or not. My intention is to ask like about this manifestation that I call herpes, you know. And the body knows. So it goes, oh, yep, there's an imbalance here. Will you please place magnets so that I can recorrect it? So, and now I'm ranting. <laughs> That's cool, man. No, I love that you open a dialogue, you know, and uh, kinesiology is so cool. It, it is. It's, it's, it's so magic. Cool. It really yes. is magic every time. You know, I think for us, it's uh, what an exciting thing whenever we get people who have never done muscle testing before. And once mm -hmm. they actually get to see a yes and they light up for me, that's, that is the, just the end all be all. It's just so fun. Nice. Dude, I am so stoked that you guys were already talking about this muscle testing thing because Michelle and I were just talking about it yesterday and how using, <laughs> Another synchronicity. Using, yeah. yeah, I mean, this is where we live. I mean, this right. is yep. the, a synchronistic universe. <laughs> just get used to it because it's happening. Yep. Um, um, you know, one of those things that we were talking about is training your intuition and using 
yourself kind of, I've kind of gone out to the desert and tried to train myself in this dowsing without anything, like just Mm -hmm. using my hands and just kind of using either a shaking or, or whatever motion that the energy wants to take me. Mm-hmm. So I've, I've kind of tried to, to scale back all of those, all of these things like magnet magnets and stuff and just using me, mm-hmm. no tuning forks, no equipment, just going out in the, in nature and doing like grounding meditations and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I wanted to bring up too is like doing Tai Chi or Qigong. Like you, when you do that and you manipulate your energy, you get the idea. Once you, once you start to know and feel, you know, this is, it goes on to with the training of your intuition is feeling it in your body with the into in the, with the uh, muscle testing, right? Mm-hmm. So you go out and just feel in your body. So I've been finding these things all over the the desert, right? And they're just iron balls. And I started finding them in this area and I started using my body to kind of douse for them. And it was like a great trainer for like feeling like this, your own subtle energies, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm I'm doing, I've already like felt that doing Qigong and, and Tai Chi. You can feel your own energy uh torsion as it as you're manipulating it and feeling it and moving that energy up and down your body right right and uh so the more it's this is practice i think qigong is the reason why as i alluded to earlier i could do a tuning process with just my hand and my voice Mm -hmm. exactly because you're already feeling it and like that's, I decide which t- uh, frequency to work with somebody on or which chakra to address next or which body part to address next. I point at the table where, you know, the crystals are symbolizing those parts of their body or where the forks are laying there. And I just slowly point across the table and then I'll, it'll click <laughs> when yeah. I hit the right spot. And uh, then I could even, I, I used to double, triple, quadruple check and be like, okay, it really is that one. But now I'm, you know, I just go with it. Yeah. Eventually you just try to trust that energetic sensitivity because doing Qigong, I get those type of like clicks and pops and electrical cavitation, suction, charge distribution type feelings in my head and throughout my body. And uh, I don't even know where I'd be if I hadn't discovered those movements. I mean, it was totally change life changing to get that communication system with my body wired up. Well, and I, th- I think it's interesting too, you know, um, I think we touched on this a little bit before chance, but when I first learned biomagnetism, I like the remote healing aspect was, you know, a, a fun idea, but, uh, you know, had yet to really prove that out for myself. And, and so there was a little bit of that skepticism for me involved, you know, that like, okay, I, I mean, I, I really love the, the esoteric theory, right. That this can happen. Um, but I just hadn't had personal experience with it. And so what did the universe do <laughs> as it always does? in it's irony. Uh, it, it just gave me a bunch of remote clients, you know, I was mm-hmm. like, well, if you're going to be skeptical, then here's your new lesson, right? This is what you're going to learn. And 
that forced me to be able to get good at self muscle testing. And then over time seeing like, Oh my God, this is actually happening. Like this realization. I mean, I had a client, um, I've I've been working with this, uh, this breast cancer client uh, for a little bit and I had just, I'm starting to do kind of the same thing though, Gordy, where it's like I, uh, during a session, you know, and there are different ways that I'll muscle test, but one of them I'll, I'll do these, you know, you rock the fingers back and forth. And then when you ask for a yes, they lock up hmm. and it takes a lot of practice because you'll get a lot of false positives and you'll go, I think I'm doing it myself and that kind of thing. But once you are able to kind of verify that, uh, so anyway, I'm, I'm sitting there muscle testing it. This thought just comes into my mind. And I had already been scanning other parts of the body, but for some reason, the word tooth, 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 just over and over. And I said, okay, go away, thought. <laughs> like I, I felt like I was getting distracted, and then it just wouldn't go away. So I said, okay, well, um, before I end the session, I'm going to go back, and I'm going to ask about the teeth. And so then I pull up a tooth chart. And I go, is there, you know, is there anything happening in the teeth? And I'll sometimes I'll switch to this muscle testing method, which is kind of the thumbs here. And mm-hmm. you, it's hard, it's hard to show this on the camera and this angle is very bad, but you essentially are uh, moving your thumbs back and forth and then you'll wait and you'll say, show me a yes, show me a yes. And one of the right. fingers will, right. Uh, anyway, so I asked about, uh, you know, is it anything tooth one to 10? No. Is it tooth 10 to 16? Whatever. Uh, turns out it, it, I got a yes on tooth number 31. So I write that down. And then I asked, well, where does the, the red magnet need to go? Right. So like for me, I'm asking, okay, there's this tooth. Um, and once I get a hit on that, that's usually I go, did, is that where you want the black magnet? Yes. Okay. Wow. And then, and then I, so I said, well, where do you want the red magnet? Um, so then I start to ask, well, anyway, so I, I figure it out. And then I send this over to the client and I say, I found an, an infection in your tooth. Um, can you verify that for me? You know, and you're really taking a, a big leap of faith because this is extremely specific. You know, it's not like, oh, yes, you could be hot or cold. And there's a 50-50 chance you will be right. This is like, okay, that's the third molar on your bottom left side, you know? Uh, so anyway, I sent her the picture circled which tooth it should be. And I don't know if this will show up. So let me see if I can find it. If you show a picture of something that's on your phone, that's the Gordy method of screen sharing. <laughs> okay, awesome. Want to see an owl picture? <laughs> got a lot of owl pictures. So we'll see. <laughs> The lighting is so bad, it may not show up. All right, so there, oh, there it is. And here's her response. I do. See? Oh, my God. Wow. That's so wow. cool. Wow. Now, what's interesting about that is that I, at the time, was in Little Rock, Arkansas. She's all the way in New Jersey. We're not on a Zoom call. We're not on FaceTime. Um, usually the way that I do my sessions is just me in private. And then I muscle test, I write everything down. I place all the pairs, I send the energy, we clear everything out. So that right there is just yet another proof for me that this method, whatever we're tapping into is, is real. And I've, now I've had this happen so many times that like you were saying, chance, 
you just begin to just know, like, I mean, yeah, instead of like verifying it for yourself, like, oh, is the finger that I'm pointing to, is this really happening? Eventually you just go, oh yeah, well, I've, I've seen it mm-hmm. too many times now. So you just know. Um, and I think that really for us as humans is something that they've uh, tried to occult from us and take away from us and make sure that we do not understand or learn. I think that's what all of the deference to the cult of experts and making authority the truth. Exactly. Because really all about cutting you off from the fact that you actually have a connection to uh, the essence of knowing itself. (laughs) Exactly. And, and I mean, that's proof in the pudding, whether it be through the tuning forks or the magnets or Gordy going out in the desert and trying to glean the information. We're way more powerful than we've ever been told. And yeah, while I may not be able to, you know, lift the X-Wing out of the the swamp, right? Um, How amazing is it that, you know, something that seems absolutely incredulous, that it shouldn't be possible, that I can guess some person's tooth infection, Mm -hmm. you know, that I'm not even in contact with at that moment that you're tapping into. It's really just information. All of it's just information floating around. You just got to pluck it. You know, but you're not guessing it's being given to you. Right. Exactly. Yeah. You're plucking it out with the intention because everything is really driven by this. Exactly. So that's actually when I talk about intellectual scaffoldings to climb on, (laughs) like having the knowledge of the biofield anatomy, for example, or a modality like muscle testing or and biomagnetism and its principles, you're really what, in my opinion, it's a language. Because maybe you can develop the sensitivity to get into like a yes or no basis type of answering system with your body. But then to take that to the next level and have as a, again, a framework or intellectual scaffolding that is a language where more complex answers can arise. That's actually what it is with a a lot of these authentically effective modalities. The same thing's happening in each modality, but it's like one person speaking Latin, one person speaking Greek, but you know, Mm -hmm the same type of thing can be effectively communicated and achieved in whatever modality. You know, and this all comes back to like you were saying, Austin, the intentionality. And I think because what makes you a good, good at this chance too. And I know slick is, is visualizers, good visualizers. Like, um, and the other thing we already uh, last week, I was doing a tuning and I saw smoke come out of my fork and I blinked and then the smoke was gone. And then it flashed in my mind. This person started smoking when they were 12 or 13, which is about where my fork was in the biofield. And it's like, did you start smoking at like 12 or 13? And they're like, yes. And I saw smoke come out of my fork and I blinked and it was gone. But yeah, it's what it is. It's so wild. Um, So I just, I just did a quick Google because it's been bugging me like the the entire two hours. I couldn't think of the guy with the cactus. Uh, His name was Luther Burbank. So if anybody wants to go look up Luther Burbanks, absolutely fascinating. Um, there's another French guy that uh, it made me Hold think on, of. Like, can I get like, what oh, I was about to say? Sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Cut off Gordy and then you. No, dude. No, this I'm is sorry. all good. I love. I love all this stuff because okay. I mean, it's all about it. It's all coming back to the same thing. And, uh, dude, I mean, these four specific nerds. You comparing yourself to the Silver Surfer, 
So this is one and and the visualization. Okay, this is not how this is all coming uh-huh. going to come back together. Is uh, when I try and visualize the healing in my hands, because this is how how I kind of feel it in other people. Is is I visualize it as Kirby Crackle. You know what Kirby Crackle is in the old Silver Age comics, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Jack Kirby, he would. He would do hands. His hands were all like overly dramatic, you know, and, and grabbing like this and stuff. Right. But in Dr. Strange's hands and a lot of the, the Kirby guys and like the early Cyclops, he would do these dots around explosions and, and power. Like they were to the Kirby art theme. It symbolized. There you go. That's it. The Kirby crackle. In Doom, that's right. It was Dr. Doom used a lot of it. But I started using that visualization as a green light with the Kirby crackle in it in my hands. And that helped me focus that energy as I'm like doing, you know, Qigong or or doing it very slow, like Tai Chi, you know, in very slow and meticulous motions. And feeling that energy flow up through that torsion. And then like, and this is kind of goes, this definitely goes back to what Eileen was talking about with the layers, the, the, the bands, she was calling Mm -hmm. it bands. I remember seeing that in the different crackle, That's you know, like different colors in the different crackles. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that, that I saw in that was it was going both all the ways at the same time. Like each one has its own path. Right. And at first I saw it as a kind of an atomic kind of looking thing. But then when you kind of zoom out, it's, you can see it in, in bands. So, I mean, if you, if you're, you dig like visualizing your own energy, slow down, slow your breathing and learn a little, you know, smooth Tai Chi or yoga. It's all energy work. Like it's yeah. all energy movement is energy movement. It's the same thing, but yep. feel your own field. Yeah. Yeah. So cool, man. It is cool. This nerdy <laughs> shit, man. It's awesome. <laughs> Well, you think, can heal yourself with it. Yes, you can. I think for me, that's, uh, I don't know. I don't know why it is, is something that I'm so drawn to, but I, I love the aspects of it. And I also love being able to see like something that can be in such a poor state, go from that to fully functioning, you know, and, and really then you get to see everything that goes along with that full functioning, you know, this person, you know, you may have seen them come in and in a very poor state of, you know, whatever, maybe they've struggled with acid reflux or knee issue or whatever. And then, you know, over time, they don't even remember why they came in to see you, you know, mm-hmm. and they're going like, Oh, my wrist hurts today. And you're going, well, you remember when you came to me originally, like, 
we, you were in very bad shape. You know, look at this list that you complained about this, this, and this. And they go, Oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, look how far you've come. Isn't that amazing? You know, that, that they you forgot you, about it. It's like right. almost evidential of the fact that all that stuff is mental configuration showing right, that physical it, deformation. Right. That it didn't even yeah, exist really until you manifested. Right. Yeah, I like. I like. That's to actually call it- something I told a client was like, we are now starting at deficit zero. Your but you're like your anger backlog is now at zero. So just let yourself express little things in the moment. Don't build up that debt, yep. and yep. Uh, you'll be set. Absolutely. I call it. I call it therapeutic denial. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's not not true. the same as uh, spiritual bypassing. I hope. Right. <laughs> Well, guys, I've got to jump off here so I can get a couple of winks before I go back to talking about magnets tomorrow. <laughs> you bet. Right on, man. It was good so, to talk to you. Thanks for doing it. Yes, that. you too, Gordy. Hey, thank you all, Gabriel. It's good to meet you too. Chance, I hope to see you again very soon, my friend. Uh, yeah, we need yes. to get together. Little Rock yeah. ain't that far from me. It's not. I, I can make a weekend trip before I sell the house. So. And it'll need to be, it'll need to be soon because, uh, I've, I've got all the wheels in motion there now. So yeah, all the more all right, reason be in touch, man. Just tell me what we're doing. I need someone to just tell me what to do. Okay. <laughs> I'll text you and be like, Hey dude, on this day, we need to do this. Okay. <laughs> all right. All right. Man. I'll see you Thanks guys for later. Hanging with thank, us yeah. Hey, now, thank you guys. Late, it's you just know. been, yeah, it's all good. No worries. Yeah, and this was a good truly word. my birthday wishes. I wanted to see biomagnetism friend talk to biofield tuning friend, and I really yeah. enjoyed it. It's a great birthday present. Thank you. Yeah, I really appreciate it. I hope Eileen got something out of it too. It was a huge honor for me. I didn't even get to tell her, you know, but uh, yeah, I mean, I I discovered her stuff before magnets, and so I was telling somebody earlier today how bizarre it was that I had, uh, you know, several years ago. I said, like, man, I would love to talk to this lady. She's just, you know, just such a powerhouse. And then when I learned magnets, I had had this thought that, like, man, I bet Eileen would be really interested in this. But, you know, never thought that anything would come of that. So I'd be interested to 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 hear, like, you can talk to the people that you wish you could talk to. That you wish. That's right. All right, guys. Well, enjoy the rest of your time. Chat, guys, thank you so much for being here, for listening. I know I can rant on biomag and microbiology all day long. So anybody that will give me a platform, it's uh, always a pleasure. I really do appreciate it. Good to have you, man. All right. Hey, thanks I'll talk yeah, to you thanks guys for doing it. I all really enjoyed uh, you, too. So thanks for uh, being here. Absolutely. Yeah. I'll talk to you guys later. Get some good sleep. All right. I will. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. See you, bud. And uh, linked in the show notes is a way to contact Austin if you would like a biomagnetism session. Also, Eileen's website is linked in the show notes. You know, my links for tuning is in there. Now, I've been sitting on this for a little while. You guys got about 45 seconds or a minute to go through a couple of the voicemails in the call-in line. Yeah, buddy. Sure. Okay, let's see what we got. One of them's from you. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, this is exciting. 82 Wednesdays worth of vibrance and a birthday celebration. Happy 322 to Chance and Interverse Podcast. Wow. Incredible. Good stuff.
I'm just sitting back quietly and listening and taking it all in. Thank you for offering this to us and for being a dedicated spider. Man fan. Oh, thank you, Alan. Dedicated Spider-Man fan. We know you got the tattoos. (laughs) (laughs) I thought it was over. (laughs) Man, you just never know with him. Okay. Here's Gordon. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. That that was very good. Uh, Here's Brayden. Happy birthday (laughs) to you. (laughs) Thanks, guys. Uh, Y'all know the drill, though. If you ever want to drop us a voicemail in the vibrant call-in line, I'll just go ahead and relink that to the live chatters here. But, you know, that can be done anytime throughout the week. And people listening to the replay, you can still join the call-in line Telegram group. Also, don't hesitate to join the Interverse Telegram chat. Uh, we could really have used some new members as all week we were stuck at 666 members. And uh, <laughs> I'm cool with it, but anyway. Uh, so, yeah, what's up? What's up, Gabe? But, you know, you've been really uh, awesomely respectful of, you know, letting the guests do a lot of weaving and just want to say thanks for that. And the fact that, you know, you you may not realize it, but you being here, you have a very powerful energy of witness and you just witnessing improves the whole vibe. So thank you for, you know, all that, uh, all those 82 vibrants that you've been here for, man. I really appreciate it. You know, that's, that's cool. You brought that up, Chance, because I read this week that uh, the act of observation is an act of creation. And it kind of resonated with me since we've been doing these uh, meditations and stuff. And it, it just sends me back to this whole discussion of muscle testing and, and building your own intuition of when the right timing for something is and when is, cause our chances to speak show up. As we need to speak, not as we think we need to speak them. So the act of observing becomes a more of an art form. And it's observing our own bodies in that same healing process too, you know, and figuring out our own intuition. So both of you guys, I appreciate you so much. And Chance, thank you for doing this. Happy birthday, brother. Yeah, man. Big time. Happy flipping birthday. Yeah. You know, what gets me uh, every week without fail, like with, we don't, pl- I don't plan. I don't know what show is coming on. Gabe it, doesn't know the show until the day of. Yep. I don't have a clue. And it always syncs up. The synchronicity is just like without fail. 82 times. I will say <laughs> though, buddy, you know, as co-host, you have a right and I dare say even a duty to sort of throw some guest recommendations or even, you know, help us get oh, some yeah. people lined up. I would take that very seriously. Uh, you know, I appreciate you being here. I really like yeah. you being in the role of the wingman. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so buddy. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for suggesting. Yeah. You know, one thing I think about a lot is I, uh, I don't have very good internet manners. Like, you know, like, uh, there's so many like 
things that other people do without thinking twice about it. And for me, it's like, it never even dawns on me, but that's one of those kind of things. Thanks for, yeah. Thanks for throwing that my way. I'll totally uh, play my options on that. That's a good call. So where are we at gentlemen? Where are we at in, you know, the expansion of consciousness in this present moment? Feeling it here for it, man. It's happening. <laughs> I think we should uh, get the old uh, demystifiers dusted off. Oh, I got to tell you, I gave you guys a date of next Friday to do one. Yeah. Or heck, that's like two days from now. Oh, and really? Before, <laughs> did we? Yeah, hey, <laughs> oh, okay. But uh, I didn't block out the day on my calendar and some, you know, some stuff, other stuff got booked for client sessions. So we're going to have to hold back. But I really do. I've actually been revisiting a lot of Marvel material and, you know, maybe we can kind of pre-weave a little bit about that right now. Cause I'm sure people would find that interesting. Like I've rewatched the uh, Avengers movies and I also rewatched the Loki series. Both of those have so much to talk about in them worth talking about. Particularly I'll just unload like in the uh, Avengers films, it was quite evident to us as Cooties was kicking off that the five-year blip of Thanos and the Avengers movie killing half of all life in the universe was clearly an allegory for the desired result of COVID or cooties. Sorry, I used the, I like my code word better. (laughs) (laughs) And that, you know, that was a very clear allegory, right? But go back to previous Avengers movies and you see that uh, other traumatic social engineering events are clearly echoed. Avengers 1 with the aliens attacking New York, most definitely a 9-11 moment. And even the way that like Tony Stark reacts to that later in the other films is clearly like the most traumatic moment of his life. But Avengers 2, actually, hold on, let me back up. The whole opening scene of Avengers 1 also knocked, like blew my wig back, as Romy would say, (laughs) that... The Tesseract, this hypercube, fourth dimensional cube, all powerful device is being tested on by the government at a facility called the Pegasus Project or Project Mm -hmm. Pegasus. And there it is, dude. The entire notion of like the biblical city of God being in the shape of a cube and a lot of other cube symbolism is laid up in the The cosmic square. The Pegasus square is the square or the cube in the sky. And I was like, all right. At the moment that I saw they were calling the Tesseract experiments Pegasus, I realized all of the disbelief that I had fostered over the symbolism we looked at being maybe synchromistically coincidental and not intentional. I, I walk all that back. Whoever it is, somebody <laughs> there knows what they're doing and they're putting this stuff in there that we're noticing and it's really there. But uh, to finish out the point about Avengers, Avengers 2, you have so much going on. There's a metaphorical war in Ukraine. There is. Oh, right. Uh, it's Ukraine, isn't it? Holy crap. Dude, yeah. It's basically a metaphorical Ukraine. Um, there's. Gosh, there's like a few other things I need to think about it, but like all the different plot points or events of that movie are, oh, earthquake in Turkey is in there. Oh, yeah. It's not like literally an earthquake in Turkey, but when you look at the imagery, you're getting something similar. You know, it goes on. It goes on. Avengers 2. So it's almost like they coded it in reverse, you know, 
it seems that way. It's so fascinating. And it, and some of these, like, they seem like a big ask at first, but when you come back at it and see it in the, with the gestalt of it all, it becomes not too much of an ask, you know, like once I had done all the, the tarot, the tarot cards with all the adventures movies, I was like, somebody is dialed in on a huge level. And then, like you said, Chance, it's astron- astrologically flawless. They are really speaking the star language that, you know, the Lumashi. It's preserved somewhere, uh, you know, in the military industrial complex that is the MIC of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Real quick, speaking of Lumashi, Sunday night, John McHugh returns. Yeah. And we're going to talk about the Pegasus Square the whole time. Oh, yeah. A, That's right on time because we're rolling perfect. through. We're rolling out of Aries. That's we might talk right about Easter time. a little bit, too. But yeah, yeah. Right on perfect, time. Right. Perfect time. I don't plan it that way. It's really awesome. <laughs> oh, nice. Man. Excellent, man. Uh, so we will get the band back together. Um, let's just... Have a little chat in our our little private group after you know. I know we're talking shop yeah. in front of the kids, but <laughs> <laughs> let's get it. We will get it going. You will see the demystifiers in probably in April, maybe sooner. Right. Um, it just gets a little daunting because every time we do it, yeah. the level of preparation <laughs> and all that gets more and more. So I, having taken a break on it, I will streamline the process a bit. But we're gonna have yeah. a lot of fun with that. People do yeah. love those. I love those. It's some of the most fun streams ever the d the details do get a little daunting sometimes because they are actually in there like you're saying like i was finding little uh you know i'll find going through images on my computer you know all the little things that we've saved and and like i found a, a little clip of the feast from the the i think it was the one of the doctor strange's from the truck, you know, uh-huh. and which like oh, led yeah. me to some, uh, what was it? Blavatsky book or something like that. It was the code in the, in the cars, the numbers on the cars or something. But what I'm saying is I remember distinctly as we were doing these that like, cause I can see, you can see that the myth that they're trying to put in there, they are all these things. I, I agree with chance. It's all there. Like yeah. I, as we were doing it and I'm thinking there's no way they could possibly be putting this much detail into and this, what they're meaning. And like in that instant, it was like, yeah, they were yeah. <laughs> like looking at me, looking at them, looking at us. They're watching <laughs> us pick this shit apart because they were thinking it for bef- before us. We're going back now seeing them do it. Yep. This is how we're time traveling, gentlemen. <laughs> yeah, buddy. Yeah, man. Yep. If a picture says a thousand words, a motion picture can just go on for eternity. Oh, yeah. The other thing in Avengers 2 is the whole AI question is a big part of it, of course. Oh, right. right. Of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, we might need to actually address those films. You know, they are the most daunting because they're the big, bad three hour movies, but there's just too much in there to ignore. New Iron Man pulls together all the threads of the other movies. And it, you know, it's a big project (laughs) to try to tackle the MCU. I do want to continue on it though. 
Did you say Iron Man? are also worth it. Did you say Iron Man 4, Gordy? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I just saw a teaser trailer for it today. Like, okay. With the, the daughter or something? I don't know. See, I knew yeah. I, I wanted to say it. I wanted to call it. They're yeah. all, they're all well, going they to, in, the, in the books, too. So all of these, uh, the, the new incarnations are all feminized. Mm-hmm. We've got She-Hulk. We've Thor got, 4 has a girl Thor. Girl Thor. We've got a female. All these revamps are, the, are female reincarnations. That's really fascinating. It kind, kind of makes me, I've always had this theory about if there was reincarnation, wouldn't it be kind of neat? If we went from boy to girl to boy to girl to boy to girl, it's so weird to bring that up. Me and Jenny were talking about that like today or yesterday. Nice, nice. That would just be uh, it makes me think of a a maypole. When you do a maypole, the boys go one way and the girls do go the other, and they weave in and out as mm-hmm. they circulate around the pole. And then when they're done, it makes a perfect braid on the pole. Or like the caduceus with the snakes. Totally, totally. Back and forth. Too. Which ty- Tiresias. The biophy. The biophy <laughs> of it. That's right. And Tiresias, I think I'm getting that name right. Uh, he's, yeah. the, he's the character who he saw two snakes mating and he smashed them. And then he got turned into a woman. And then later oh, on, he t- sees two snakes mating and he avoids them and he turns back into a man. Kind of interesting. Wow. Just the fact that you brought up the whole incarnations, alternating genders. Yeah. The fact that you brought that up is makes me almost put more credit to the idea being worth thinking about because I was just on our minds and I was a little dismissive of it. But, you know, here it is popping up instantly. You know, so <laughs> no, no, it has to be. It's not like we talk about that every day. It doesn't, you know, you and I have probably never even entertained that idea together. Right. Hey, there's something it gets the vibe, your vibe affects your experiences, even in these subtle, you know, in more intellectual ways. I think if if balance has to be the goal in the universe, balance will find its way. You will if we do have those cycles, it's going to be some sort of equality at the end, you know, like mm-hmm. where we've learned these lessons on this side of of the being like the feminine side and these lessons on the masculine side, we all have to be both eventually. Like we're all going to be both. Right. And I even like, I mean, just because it's on chance's birthday, it makes me think like, what if there's a cool way to weave through that your age so that all your odd years, you have more of a masculine expression of something. Maybe you smoke with your right hand, and then on your well, even yeah. on your even years, you smoke with your left hand. I don't know, just some way to observe the the uh, the autumn and the even of the numbers of your life too. Just a thought. Have you ever been regressed, Chance? I've or- attempted to regress myself, mm-hmm. and you know, I came up with a few things, but no, I haven't. I'm not very easily hypnotizable. Not even to myself. I don't know what it is, but um, I used to be able to get into more of like a trance journey work type state when meditating. But I don't know what it is. I It may have to do with the way that I posture my relationship to my body generally that I'm always relying on being as 
in my body, grounded, feet on the ground, sensing in the physical body, in you know, connecting with the physical world through the interface of the body that it's actually kind of tough for me to get out of feeling like I'm in my physical body and into sort of inner world visionary states. Um, you know, there, but you know, what's weird is I can still have the intuitive experiences where I sort of like describe things as if I was really viscerally seeing them, <laughs> but it's almost just more intellectual and ideas popping in. And I just say the idea does make sense. I don't know what that, what it is. I used to have a lot more visionary drifting out <laughs> and now I'm, uh, tend to be kind of, it's kind of hard for me to get myself out of my body. That being said, you know, my dreams are popping off. <laughs> I had the greatest dream last night where in a dream, I had the ability to move things telekinetically, which I dream that I have that ability pretty often. And also I could fly. The flying was like not even a big deal because it's so common in my dreams. But to move things telekinetically, I had to like look at it, stare at it and really concentrate and use my hand. And however I moved, my hand would like gesture the directionality of the movement of the telekinesis. And in the dream, I developed the ability to do the telekinesis without looking directly at the object, just peripherally gazing at it and not moving my hand. So I was using this newfound power to like prank people and move things, you know, without them knowing that I just did it. And I don't know, it was a really fun dream. <laughs> I don't know what that means interpretation wise. Nice. Yeah. It's like that Karina Karagula stuff. The, the Russian psychic that used to move stuff with her hands and then she stopped doing it. And that was her progress. She would move it, move stuff in under glass with her hands through the glass so that it, I mean, there was no external thing. It was a, yeah. a, a I've boy. seen it happen. Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, you know, exactly. the experience I'm really thinking of, which is one of the most, one of the last times I had a really profound sort of visionary journey type experience. I've probably told this story before, but, and, you know, keep me going if you want to hear the, the rest of it. But I did, I attended a seance kind of accidentally once and, uh, the seance facilitator had us all put our names on a piece of paper and on a table. And that table, all the names on the slips of paper were lined up in a circle with a glass cup. Uh, it was like a glass goblet with a, candle in it in the middle of the table and they picked a few people to go up to the table and project their intention through their hands for the cup to move and stop on top of a slip of paper and that slip of paper would be the medium for the rest of the seance and I was like mentally I mentally sent the message out to the circle but not verbally that I will volunteer I don't know that anyone else should do it. I think I could protect myself and also achieve, you know, the task of do, being the medium. Don't know why. I just felt for sure like I should do it. There are about 25 or 26 people in the circle and uh, the three or four went up there and it was wild. I've never seen anything like it, but they did not touch the table and they did not touch the glass, but the glass started to slide around the table. Uh, no one touching it. and. No joke, it stopped and landed on the slip of paper that they picked up and flipped over and my name was on it. <laughs> and then <laughs> and then the experience went on from there, but it was uh 
it was a very profound, you know, that was the point where I was like, okay, the, uh, the dead are just waiting for us to open up a portal to them and talk to them in the, in a way, but they communicate through feelings, not through words. And there's a lot to that experience. I could, I could flesh it out more, but I don't want to hug the mic. I remember that that story. Yeah. That's a good one. I remember that. That's I think you told us that around the campfire at snake Jones's. That was a (laughs) a good good campfire story. Yeah. That was a great one. You know, uh, I just want to relate my, uh, my dream was Gordy inspired last night. Now that we're talking about dreams, I'm so glad you brought it up. Uh, very weird, like underground, uh, like a sewer system, but people were living down there. So it's like people were casually walking around and like up to their thigh in water uh, and not thinking twice about it. And there was a, there was an owl perched in the corner and the owl was, uh, it was, it appeared to be mechanical because its eyes were like spirals and I went over to it and I was like, but it looked very real, but the eyes were not like a real owl. And so I went over to it and I was like, I'm going to just touch this thing, you know, cause it had real feathers and everything. And I went and I went to pet the owl and I noticed in the, on its haunch was like a little opening, like a triangular opening. And so I like curiously put my finger in there in the, whole the owl was stuffed with money and they were like wadded up uh one dollar bills and folded up ones tons of them and so i was like this is weird and i started pulling them out and i'm like oh well and they were old like old one dollar bills and i pulled out a few of them and i was like and then i started getting self-conscious like part of me was like Okay, uh, this isn't my money. It doesn't. It doesn't belong to me. But if I leave it here in this owl, somebody else is going to find it and go and come and take it. And so I like took a little more, and then I'm like, but now I just kind of feel weird just taking this money. And then the owl spread its wings and flew away, <laughs> and left me with a little handful of ones. Wow, isn't that weird? What a trip, man! That's awesome. Yeah, it was a wild dream. So the, do you think that the ones are like little little wisdoms or little truths or something, little blessings? Yeah, and they. one thing I think about is that they are like pieces of history. Mm. I think that I wanted to like open them up and analyze them to see what like, you know, what year they were from and, you know, kind of sense the the energy of the times that they derived from. Interesting. How cool. I, yeah, I'm, I'm going to think about that. Yeah, man. That was a great show, by the way, over on uh, Michelle's Healing Home. Everybody go get it. Yeah, it thanks, dude. That was, a, that was a blast. I'm glad to do those. That was I, was the inten- I was in the audience in attendance. There. Yeah, you were. And you're because of this, all this, yeah. these connections are happening, man. <laughs> I appreciate it. You're giving we're, too much credit. We're connecting a lot of good good weaves the the web is getting bigger and bigger all the time well it looks like maybe i ought to just tell that story about the seance yeah Yeah. maybe some people in the audience have heard it but it's a good story yeah man 
I need, <laughs> I need, I need my wife to come take this cat away and put it in jail. Though. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell this story and then yeah, maybe we can um, after I get your reflections on it. That might be us wrapping up. But I was at a metaphysical, you could call it like a magic festival. People who are practitioners of occultism and magic with the K and all that. I was there with a booth and promoting my podcast early days, <laughs> very early days. Here you go, darling. Please take this thing away and put it in jail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, I was selling art. That was the main reason I was there. I ended up uh, going to getting ready to go to bed and finding that there was a seance about to take place right by my tent. So I was about to go to sleep within 15 feet, like literally right, right next to me within like 15 feet of, I don't know, interdimensional portals opening up. I say that kind of in jest. I don't really believe dimensions are as described by the new age, but you know, there was some kind of opening to some kind of energy about to happen. And I didn't really want to be unconscious around it. So I decided I'd go sit in on the circle and, uh, as it was getting underway, they had us write down on a piece of paper our name to have the medium selected. And then also they had us write down on a different slip of paper and put into a another cup the name of somebody that we knew that was dead that we wanted to invite into the circle to to potentially come in, come through in the seance. So there's one guy facilitating about 25 people in the circle. And I end up, as I described, getting selected as a medium after volunteering. The uh, cup tilt, the cup pushing method where nobody touched it, but the cup moved around. I'm not exactly sure the way I can't exactly remember the way the cup was set up, but it had to do with a candle and a glass like goblet with like a stem and a bowl. So after I was selected as medium, there was kind of like there was a second person selected as medium. He actually wanted to get like three to five. But after me and a second woman were selected, the uh, cup stopped moving. It wouldn't pick anyone else. So it was just me and one other person. That was what the spirits had chosen, allegedly. And the, the warm-up event was to try to tap into the feeling of being guided by the, uh, the spirits that were invited in and to select a tarot card uh, from the table and then hand it to who it belongs to or who it represents well. And so I did this. I picked a tarot card. I didn't know what the card was per se, but uh, <laughs> I was just like, all right, whatever it is, I don't know how you're supposed to guide me, but just guide me. And I'm holding the card and my arm just extends out. And uh, as if somebody was like had a string attached to my arm and could swivel me around, I was swiveled like uh, you know, I was not controlling it and I was just swiveled until I was pointing at someone in the circle. And uh, this girl was kind of like glammed up and, uh, you know, the the most made up and uh, <laughs> I don't know the word like Barbie dolled out type of one there. Right. Uh, so the card handed it to her. It was the Empress, which represents like, you know, that energy of being put together and Taurus and beauty and the Venusian thing. And, you know, she, everyone agreed like, wow, she really embodies that vibe. And for me, what was bizarre was just the feeling like I was being pulled on a string directly to her. 
it was a uh, pretty, pretty weird. Like something else was moving me for me, but not like they were moving my muscles. It was almost like they were externally pushing me, guiding me. So it's not like I was taken over, right? It was the way that somebody could like grab you by the shoulders and turn you, <laughs> you know, it's all more like that. And then the, uh, the second medium did the same thing. And then what we did next was a type of like guided visualization, guided meditation, where I was given instructions to pick like a, a place in nature that I was familiar with and to put myself there in my mind's eye and, you know, see everything that's going on. And then imagine that there was a river or a creek or a body of water with a bridge over it. And then to go and then that the on the other side of this water was the other side where the dead are. So I mentally like walked across this bridge and basically the whole time from there, they're just like, what do you see now? What do you see now? And I don't think I was hypnotized. I was fully aware of my body, myself, the room I was in. I was consciously choosing, you know, what to say and what to do in my vision. Like, but you know, at the same time, I was clearly seeing in my mind's eye where I was at and deciding where to go and what to do next. So I found um, after crossing the bridge to the spirit world, I saw in my mind a big mansion, uh, older like Victorian style mansion, not like crazy big, but pretty large, two stories. And I go in, um, <laughs> I, I go into a few rooms and I, I will, you know, condense the story and just say that the first couple of rooms that I checked out. It was not really someone there to talk to me, more like some prankster type energy uh, and it didn't get much out of it. But then I went upstairs in this spiritual mansion and I saw I went into a room, a bedroom, saw an old man with uh, gold rimmed glasses, circular, and he's wearing like specific outfit, um, I think like a white, a white polo type shirt and you know, jeans or whatever, kind of had a pot belly, balding, looked like anyone's grandpa, right? And uh, at that point, they started asking me, like, is he communicating? Is he saying anything? What's he doing? And I described what he looked like. And then I said, he's jumping up and down and pointing at his shins. <laughs> and then a woman in the circle all of a sudden just like sobbed audibly. And she's like, that's my grandpa. That's my grandpa. He wore glasses like that. He sounds just like how he looked. He was the one I invited into the circle. We were really close. He's gone now. And uh, he used to always do a dance to make me laugh that he called the shindig. And that, <laughs> and I'm seeing this guy doing, pointing at his shin and dancing around. Maybe it's not the dance he did for her, but he was communicating shin dig you know shin and dance so that really tripped her out she's kind of crying but also excited that he's there and then the uh, facilitator asked me if the spirit of this grandpa had any message for her and he didn't communicate verbally I asked him if he had anything for me to say to her and at that point like during the whole process of this visualization I was very neutral emotionally just very neutral just observing and reporting observing and reporting and then I asked him in my mind, do you have a message for her? And all of a sudden, my emotional state went from zero to sobbing level emotion of gratitude and pride. 
like love and appreciation and being proud. So it was as if like for a moment, I was the grandpa for a second, feeling all that pride and love and appreciation for the granddaughter. And it was as if someone had turned a faucet on full blast from nothing, (laughs) you know, all of a sudden it's just rushing and pouring through. And then as quickly as it came on, the faucets turned off and I was back at emotional zero. So usually when you have an emotional state like that, there's like a whole, you know, a whole working up in your body that goes on and the emotion builds up and builds up. And then you have the crescendo and then you start to calm down and calm down and calm down. And the body goes through that process too. There's physical experience to that. But from this, it was like neutral zero emotion, full blast. I'm about to cry for three seconds. And then back to zero, no build up, no come down. It was, uh, and so I took that to mean, you know, exactly what I said. He's proud of you. He loves you very much. <laughs> and I kind of explained it that way and gave the message that way. And, um, you know, that's about the gist of what I wanted to share regarding that story. But that's something that I think anybody could potentially do. Uh, and it's just sort of about creating the conditions and asking the questions and inviting in the energy and, you know, (laughs) I don't see why we don't do more of that. You know, I especially if you have a certain person you wanted to connect with, why don't we spend more intentional time to, you know, we don't have to do like table tipping and Ouija boards and Luigi boards and all that, but to just realize that in the exact same way as I was describing earlier in the show, how, you might be doing some kind of a agro psychic vampirism type bullshit. If you're having a mental argument in your head with somebody that's not even there and how to like cool it. If you're doing that, that's you invading their psychic space in the exact same way. If you know somebody really well, even if they're, whether they're dead or alive, if you know them so well that you could have a seamless imaginary conversation in your mind with them, And you know what they would say, or you feel like what they would say just comes up. That's you communicating with them. Maybe they're not consciously going to remember it. Sometimes they might have even had like a little ping about you at that time or been thinking about you, though. And so whether or not you, you know, you don't need it to be like some verifiable go check with them. Yeah, we had the talk. No, you're talking to like their essence or their energy or their spirit because it's in you. Because everything external to us is actually in us. The whole outer world is our inner world turned inside out so we can see it. And I think that living or dead, we can communicate with people that we want to communicate with. I actually used to do this practice of people that were no longer in my life. When I first learned meditation, I developed this idea of like, well, there's certain things that come up and I remember while I'm meditating, I feel bad about it. Like I knew I was bad or shitty to this person. So what I started doing when I didn't have a way to like go rectify the situation with them because I no longer had contact, I would do exactly that. I would mentally have a convo with them in my head where I resolved the energy of like my need to explain myself or apologize or, you know, just in some way balance the scales between me and them. And that I think is a type of self-tuning practice that we can all do, especially with our younger self, like you and Michelle were talking about in Michelle's Healing Home, where older or young versions of ourselves from the past that we hold a lot and harbor a lot of resentment and judgment towards, go have this mental conversation with your 18-year-old self until, you know, you can let go of whatever you're holding on to 
limiting that self and that energy and accept them and love them and appreciate them for who they are. So that's all that. <laughs> nice, brother. Thank you. Yeah, bro. For sure. Yeah. You are a time traveler. You can do it. So I got a synchronicity. Nice. I'll, I'll, I'll see your shin and I'll match you. The card, the card that I pulled off for the show, it belongs in my chart right next to the Aeon card with the glyph Shin. These two cards go with Pausanias here. That's kind of cool. The shapes of them immediately look like an A and an, o, an alpha and an omega. Like a, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the shape of the, the what is it? What's the other one? This one's an omega for sure, right? Yep. And this yep. one, she's in a it's kind an a. of a, an A-shaped throne. Let's see if I can. There we go. But uh, this is, Pausanias's muse is Cleo. She's the goddess of history. So it's pretty apropos. She's got the scroll. I've re- I realized I used to think this was a bow, like a bow and arrow. But now I'm thinking that's a also, I think both and, I think it's also a rolled out scroll. In most high priestesses, she's got the scroll rolled up and hidden, like tucked under her robe, but not this one. She's got it. She's levitating it. And it's out. It's a, you know, it's revelation. It's unraveled. It's revealed. But yeah, that's kind of neat that you're talking about the shins. And, and then you know what happened after that uh, seance? Then some weird uh, Order of the Golden Dawn folks uh-huh. tried to convince me that I was a clone, or that there were a bunch of clones made from me, and that you know they basically strung me a lot. Like like they did the classic classic move of like build you up, love bomb you, appreciate you, then give you like once you know you're interested in them and you then they give you like some kind of freaky info that pertains to you that's mysterious and also kind of scary, but then they're cagey about it. Like now you're coming to them like, come on, give me more, come on, give me more. And I realized instantly the game. I was like, yeah, you're full of shit. (laughs) This is like a (laughs) recruitment tactic. Uh Like playing on my, I don't know, uh that Leo like self-importance like oh there's clones of me no I must be the only one I'm the special boy and uh, anyway it took me like a, a whole five minutes after they told me that and to realize oh they're trying to just set me up to be juiced or you know join their cult or whatever so but uh, watch out for weird old order weird old order of the golden dawn folks uh, at magic festivals you know what Chance I'm glad you said that because I wonder if there are any books out there on these kind of tactics, but what uh, I have heard examples where they'll try to, they'll, they want to make an asset out of somebody. And what they'll do is they'll say, God, I can almost remember who this is. It's a famous influential person from history, but they'll say, you have a a rich uh, family, uh, family member in Europe who's about to die and we can prove that you're related to them. 
and we have your genealogy. And if you do what we say, we can make sure you get the inheritance. And then they leverage the person to jump through a bunch of hoops because they think they're going to get this inheritance and it's a Fugazi. But what that makes me think more than that, it's probably giving up a lot of personal info and like, you know, identity theft, helpful, important info. (laughs) Yes. To turn them into an asset. Now, what this makes me think of is what a boondoggle it becomes to have uh, 23 and me as an idea out there. Mm. that now they can just pop up anywhere and be like, Hey, guess who we found out you're related to and you could and then pull their strings and then, uh, you know, turn them into an asset. It's crazy. It sets a very fertile ground for that kind of, that kind of manipulation. <laughs> Carrie says 1122. Good night, folks. I actually kind of had a wild uh, hair that I wanted to end the stream at three hours, 22 minutes. So that's kind of coming up. You guys. Cool All right. That? Yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> all right good brother hey gordy thanks for popping in and hanging with us at the end here you bet buddy happy birthday thank you i appreciate you all it's so fun to hang out with my best buds <laughs> I'm so excited for the demystifiers to get back on the horse and We're ride getting out that band back together yes we are yeah man that's awesome thanks for uh hanging in there everybody big love to everybody who's stuck yeah, it out in the chat this was yeah. a really cool special episode. Really appreciate it. Yeah. A lot of happy my favorite people Christmas. tonight. All right. Well, good night. Happy palindrome day and uh happy spring equinox. Be well. Happy Earth Strong. <laughs>